3: Hi listeners, just a quick little message. Um, There is a section of this week's episode where Damascus Audio, um, we had some technical difficulties. Um, It is there, but it might come in a little bit um, echoey or um, not as clear as it normally would. So apologies for that. It's late in the episode, It's only for about a 10-minute burst. So hopefully it shouldn't be um, too distracting, but just apologies for that little hiccup. Enjoy the show. Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive, and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordas. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season two of Glow. You almost forgot to bring yourself in there, Damask. That was very cute. I know. Two weeks in a row, you almost (laughs) missed your cue. Not that people will know that from the first one, because we cut that. It's always at the
2: beginning when I'm daydreaming, and you always catch me off guard. I've got a bit of a
3: rhythm there. You just sort of bop along to my intro, and then you're like, just like, oh, wait a second, my cue. Yeah, I'm
2: just enjoying the rhythm. Yeah,
3: exactly. Um, Damask, do you know what's exciting about the last month for us? What's exciting? Well, we unfortunately had to sort of miss a week and had a few things happen here and there. It was a little bit broken up last month, but we had a record number of um, people listen to the show. Um, We've had a bit of an uptick in listeners, which is really exciting for us. Obviously, we've been doing the show for a while now. This is our 71st episode. So, there is hours and hours and hours of hunting seasons out there for you to listen (laughs) to. Um, So, to see sort of it growing in its viewership or its listenership, I should say, Mm. is really exciting for us. And we're pretty sure it's because people have been um, sharing the show a little That's bit more right. often, is that right? Um, so, Thanks. we just want to, A, thank everyone for listening to Hunting Seasons and thank you for enjoying it, um, but most importantly, thank you for those who are sharing this along, giving us a review on um, podcast platforms and so forth, but especially for just letting other people know um, and saying, hey, you know, uh, you're interested in television, give this podcast a listen to. So, um right. And like
2: this week just proves that all of that hard work that everyone does actually pays off (laughs) because we are seeing, obviously you guys can't see the numbers and stuff, but it is paying off. Um, the we've had a huge influx and I have no doubt it is thanks to you guys so thank you very much
3: so please keep doing that that'd be awesome it's definitely working we really appreciate it so don't stop now anyway we've got a lot to talk about uh, with season 2 of GLOW this week but before we do that we're going to have a very quick off-topic, off topic hot topic
4: off topic hot topic that's whatever you were talking about for you
3: Off topic, hot topic is the part of the show where we just talk about things that aren't the season of television we're reviewing this week. Um, Sometimes it's other TV, books, movies, music, whatever. Often we talk about the news. We're not going to have enough time today, though there are some things we'll get to in the near future. I just want to start with a quick review of The Incredibles 2, which I saw a couple of weeks now. I saw it basically opening night or opening weekend and have since seen it twice, actually. Um, I went Ooh. back one more time with my brother because I'm a bit of a Pixar fan. Um, Someone's and r- got
2: a lot of money going to the movies I mean, twice? you go on the cheap
3: days. You don't just oh keep going goodness. on the, at, you know, peak time or anything Are like that. you in gold class? Um, Did you get
2: nachos with all the toppings? What's going on?
3: I always get popcorn, though. Like, I shouldn't. It vibes in my guts in a really bad way. Too much information, but I still do it just It just makes time. me
2: cough, which is very inconvenient when you're in the theatre.
3: Yeah, don't, don't be getting popcorn if you're coughing.
2: I wonder if I'm allergic.
3: <laughs> maybe, maybe. Anyway, point being, I've seen The Incredibles 2. I want to talk about it a little bit. And I just want to start by prefacing that I am a really big Pixar fan. Like I am one of sort of, um, uh, like I've been on a quiz show in Australia specifically with a special <laughs> topic about Pixar that's oh, how that's much like, I was about to say if you didn't Pixar. mention
2: that I was definitely going to mention yeah, good. that you like,
3: nerd. My love is up there. I'm a really big fan of what they do, especially sort of their first ten to fifteen movies or so. And The Incredibles number one is probably my favorite Pixar film of all. Like on its release, I think it was probably the best superhero film ever made. Not sure if that's true anymore, though. It's still way, way, way up there. So with that in mind, I'm happy to say that I really enjoyed The Incredibles too. Um, it's Gorgeous! The technology to render these characters in sort of in CGI or you know three animation is better than it's ever been. It looks great. There's some really wonderfully wonderfully inventive action in this. The score from um, Michael uh, Giacchino is a banger, and frankly, it's just great to see these characters return to the big screen. I've been wanting to see a sequel to this film forever. It was of all the Pixar films, was the natural fit for a sequel. That being said. Um and understand that my expectations were unrealistic and uncontrollably sky high like I couldn't <laughs> help myself but want and hope for this film to be amazing. I don't think it reaches the heights of the first one by a wide margin. It's not bad at all. It's probably just mid-tier Pixar um or even for a a modern superhero film sort of like mid-tier MCU, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has got some really high highs now, and I love its mid-tier stuff too. It's Ant-Man's and it's Doctor Strangers and like it's Captain America: The First Avenger and stuff like that. It sort of fits in that range, so it's not a bad thing at all. It's just not. I think the first film is genius. Um, there's a lot of things right. The opening se- sequence is great, um, but the first act is a bit clunky. Um, it sort of takes a while to get into gear to find its story. It just has to. Clunk it along to get there. It really, really hits its stride in Act Two and is it soars for a while and then it gets this Act Three that's sort of reminiscent of the ho hum action finales that Marvel has had a problem with in Phase Two of the MCU in particular. And the third act is really problematic for me. Villain wise, things start off really promisingly, but they don't amount to a whole lot. The first film, The Incredibles 1, Syndrome is an incredibly good villain. Like, really strong, thematically really rich. One of the best bad guys of any superhero movie ever, I still think. And this one just does not measure up. And, like, it's unfair because Syndrome sets a high benchmark. Like, you're making a sequel 14 years later, you want it to match that or come close to it at least. And this one does not. It does have a lot of thematic meat to chew on. The film, in general, it's successful with a lot of that, but doesn't manage to make it all stick. At least not with any finesse. Um, If anything, it has too many ideas for to make it all completely work. Or it does this thing that frustrates me, where it sort of comes to its thematic conclusion at the end of Act Two, and then Act Three has nothing to do anymore. It just, except have an action scene at the end. Um, And the thing I've heard some rumors. What we even know, actually, The Incredibles 2 was originally meant to come out in 2019 and was pushed forward because Toy Story 4 was having production problems, and so it seems like they may have rushed this film. Without being getting into spoilers, I think you can feel that in the movie a little bit. that it was rushed out. It wasn't given time to fully cook, and this does feel like a middle movie. Yeah, unlike the first film, which leaves off in a place where you're like, okay, cool, that felt like a satisfying arc, this one doesn't. It leaves them a place where I'm like, I feel like you've still got further to go with this. And that might be because the production was hampered and and altered things and that sort of left it unfinished. But part of me now really hopes that we're going to get a third one and this is going to become a trilogy because I think it could very well finish off there. So, yeah, well, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't, it does have a tiny little tease there might be, another film but it's not anything explicit it doesn't leave you on a cliffhanger definitely but thematically it doesn't feel like it's done like the characters just feel like oh, there's more to be said at this point um so while i don't feel like this film's completely able to recapture the magic of the first i do enjoy it plenty and i hope it does well enough that we get a new one and hopefully it's not going to be 14 years until we get number three um if we get number three at all have you seen it yet damask incredible two?
2: no i don't i probably won't to be honest with you
3: Oh really? Did you like the first one or? Eh, it was fine. It, but I know a lot of people love it a lot. Ho, 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 ho. Ho, 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 ho. Yeah, Just fine.
2: But I like. I didn't. It didn't make me feel anything. So I didn't feel anything, uh, and fair I, I, I'm. I wasn't um, enamored with it the way that um, a lot of people were. And you know that's that's fine. We all have different tastes, broad.
3: Sorry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Some people have tastes that are wrong. It's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Um, Some people have bad taste. Correct. <laughs> Not pointing fingers. Anyway, the one other thing, <laughs> just before we move on to mask. Um, way back, wages ago. Um, March wages or April ago? Wages ago. Like, several wages ago. Mm. Um, my, I went and saw, I think it was like March or April of last year. I went and saw a show at the Comedy Festival, Hannah Gadsby's Nanette. And I actually did review it briefly sort of in like an intro segment of one of the podcasts. I don't remember which one. But if you've heard that and you heard me raving about how great it was, well, you can watch it now too because they did a live recording at the Sydney Opera House, I think it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it's now on Netflix and the whole world is falling in love with that thing. And if <laughs> you haven't watched it, you should too. And that's simply it. Go watch Nanette, Hannah Gadsby's live show on um, on Netflix right now. Dema- did you see it? You saw that show too? Yeah.
2: Um I had tickets to go and see it live. Yeah. Um amazing seats to go and see it. And uh-huh. then I think I either had to work or something came up so I had to give them away to my housemate and he loved it. But yeah, I I couldn't go and see it live, which I'm very sad about, but um, I so have you... watched I watched the Netflix special though.
3: Was there any did you like it?
2: Yeah, I did. Um took a long time for me to enjoy it though sure. I was watching it and I was like well I mean this is not great I don't really get why people are losing their fucking minds over it and then you get to a point and you understand what she's doing and you're like yeah. oh okay I, I, I see it a bit clearer um yeah it's I think it's a very interesting piece of stand-up comedy or it's I mean stand-up comedy one woman show however you want to classify it. it's it's interesting
3: definitely Damas do you have anything for us for off topic hot topic
2: I do. So, now, I watched this a couple of weeks ago. Um, I watched Disobedience, which I was very, very excited about. It stars Rachel Weisz and Rachel McAdams. It's directed by Sebastian Lelio, I'm sorry for that pronunciation, who is a Chilean director whose work I have not seen before. had a quick look at his IMDb. I'm like, I don't recognise any of that. Um, And Disobedience is about two women from the Orthodox Jewish community in London, I believe. Um, Now, one of them has escaped and lived a life as a photographer overseas. I think she's in New York. Anyway, she comes back for her dad's funeral and she, you know, hangs out with a girl who she used to hook up with when they were teenagers. Now, it's based on a book, um, but I only found that out After I watched the film, but Mm -hmm. actually makes a lot of sense when I was thinking about what my problems with the film were. Um, It's a film about sexual repression in this very patriarchal society or community. And it is incredibly hard to tap into the internal worlds of the main characters. I and on reflection, I was like, oh, because it's a book. So that would be really interesting because you'd be getting those internal lives on the page. We don't have that opportunity in this film because no one's saying anything. Um, They're barely making any eye contact. um, So Mm. it's kind of hard. (laughs) Um, Hmm. It certainly makes it hard for the audience to access it. And usually, you know, you could use visual tools to demonstrate things that would otherwise be a bad idea to put in dialogue. Um, but the direction in this film to me, and I am not a director, I don't really know a whole bunch about direction, but I found like I was noticing the direction because of how bland and uninspired I felt it to be.
3: So, can you and give I, me an example of what that means to feel the direction? Was it something, a visual cue or a...
2: There's a lot the, of twofers. Okay. Just a lot of twofers. <laughs> so sure, it's just like, okay. When are you going to show me the intensity of who these people are? So, it's the when lack it, of
3: direction. Is that the thing that you're noticing? Perhaps, yeah. yeah. And when,
2: because everyone is so repressed, like how visually are you going to show me the stakes in this story? Yep. How visually are you going to make me understand these people because you don't have any other way to do it and it yep. never got there for me? Right. Um, at, like, at all. But, you know, people who are, you know, actually have knowledge about direction are probably like, oh, actually, but that was not my experience of the film. <laughs> I wanted more of the two main women actually being friends. There are a couple of scenes where they're talking and, you know, you could feel a genuine connection between them. You know, the, the scenes where the two Rachels actually get to play off one another are really, really good. I was like, give me more of that. Give me a sense of that there was a relationship there, mm-hmm. that they really like each other, that there's, there is that energy between them. Um, but, yeah, it just wasn't enough. Um, the film, honestly, it felt lifeless to me. And keep in mind, I was so looking forward to this film. Like, give me just lesbian smooches and I'm pretty fucking happy. But, yeah, no, this film was lifeless to me. Um when what I felt like I sh- what I should be feeling is that, like, repressed life bursting from the seams so that when, you know, it does break free at the end, I felt a sense of joy or levity or happiness or something, but I didn't feel that at all because the whole thing was just bland. I didn't feel it building to anything. Sure. And also I will say there is one thing that happens in the sex scene that made me... <laughs> exclaim out loud in the theater, that's fucking disgusting. <laughs> and then I was worried. I was like, well, now everyone thinks I'm a homophobe.
0: <laughs> Even though
2: I'm in the cinema with a girl, clearly together, I was like, oh, fuck, now they just think I hate gay sex. But really, it's just this one thing they do that made me feel physically ill. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't super impressed with Disobedience. But, yeah.
3: Was the Whatever. trailer better than the movie? Because I thought the trailer was quite good. It got me excited as well. I was like, oh, that's looking yeah, pretty the,
2: good. Um, yeah, the trailer has much more... Um, Style? It's moodier. moodier. yeah, st- st- Stylier? <laughs> I was about to say. Stylier. It's stylier. St- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long night. Um, yeah, so I probably wouldn't recommend, unfortunately, but there you An- go.
3: Anything else to mask.
2: Yes, I have one thing to talk about in reality check. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So, I watched RuPaul's Drag Race, the finale, this week.
3: Mm-hmm. What season um, is this? This is just... This is an all stars. This is just RuPaul, RuPaul's Drag Race. This is just Race. a
2: regular old season. It's season 10, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, I was obviously have to, at the very beginning, congratulations to Aquaria. She is our winner. She was a fabulous queen that slayed the runway every week. But... <laughs> I need to retell retell something to you, Broad, and to you, the listeners at home. Um, it's something that happened on the finale episode. So what happens is they have the final four. They they walk onto the stage in a big, great big auditorium full of people. Great, like excited to be there. Bunch of drag queens in the audience. It's fabulous. Anyway, so what they do, they get the four, <clears throat> the final four on stage, and then two at a time kind of have to lip sync for their life against each other. Uh-huh. Um, Cause that in Rebels Drag Race, that's how you determine the winner of like an episode or a loser in an episode. Sorry. Um, so we have our, so Cameron Michaels, who's definitely not going to win. She's definitely like fourth place material. Like I love her, but she just is, <clears throat> hasn't shone as bright as the others throughout the season. Cameron Michaels is set to lip sync against Asia O'Hara who is, like, this fierce black, like, hen mother, like, community pillar, amazing performer. They, <clears throat> you know, stand on opposite sides of the stage. And Cameron Michaels is in this kind of, like, cartoon Valley girl Barbie doll amazing outfit. Um, and But Ajo O'Hara is wearing this, like, incredible outfit that is covered in butterflies. And she's got these great big... Um, cylindrical, huge tits that are just, like, <laughs> covered in butterflies. So they're just, like, weird pods on her chest that are covered in, like, these fake butterflies and they're all in her hair and stuff. The song starts. <clears throat> they're dancing. They're lip syncing. Ajo O'Hara has a little box on her wrist. She unties the box and she's still grooving and stuff while she's doing this. She takes off the lid and she starts blowing at it. She's like, <sighs> <clears throat> and I turn to my friend that I'm watching the episode with. I'm like, what is she doing? And he's like, just wait for it. Just wait for it. And Azra <laughs> keeps blowing, just. <clears throat> <clears throat>. And then I see like a flutter of a wing as like she's blowing through it. And then I turn to my friend and I was like, is that a butterfly? And he turns to me and goes, yes, they're all dead. So she's dancing around and dead butterflies like fall out. And then, and then I was like, Oh God, that's so embarrassing. Like she meant to have this great reveal. Didn't work. Oh my God. That's horrific. She keeps dancing. She goes to her other wrist, another box. She opens it. (laughs) Same thing. Full of dead butterflies. They're not going anywhere. She continues to twirl around. Dead butterflies are going everywhere. Um, (laughs) And then, so those big cylindrical tits on her chest, (laughs) she, (laughs) oh God, she takes them off and underneath of these, like, it's like she splits an egg in half, you know, when you crack an egg in half, like she does that to her tits. Inside is like this like netting where I'm assuming butterflies were meant to be sitting waiting for a bit so that she would take off her tits and they would fly out in a big reveal. That's not quite what happened. <laughs> she takes off her tits, and in this, what looks like this weird spiderweb netting stuff is just hanging lifeless a shit ton of dead butterflies. <gasps> that continue to spray everywhere as she dances and you see the panic in her face and then you see the shot of, like, the audience members who are all horrified that she keeps trying for this reveal. She tries, like, four times and at no point does it work and I think it was up to the third reveal and I was like, please just stop trying for the butterflies. They're all dead. Please stop. Stop,
3: stop. They're (laughs) all
2: dead. So these two women stopped dancing thing and camera michaels was like doing all these whirly twirly things and not paying attention to what asia was doing at all and she's just like so the other girl who doesn't have the butterflies is just kind of like catching her breath and she looks down she adjusts something on her outfit she looks down at the stage and you just see the shot where she sees like all these dead (laughs) butterflies on the ground and it's just a close-up of her face being like what the fuck is that and it was, it, I could barely watch it. You know how nervous I get watching television broad, like particularly like live television. Especially uh, like bridge stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, I broke out in hives. I was like, yeah, just like wriggling all over the couch in horror. It was so, so awful and embarrassing, but so perfect. Like it, the fact that she just kept trying, I was like, this is amazing television. It was very good. Anyway, I- so that's my reality check this week.
3: That's my favorite reality check ever. <laughs> I I dare say there is going to be a video on YouTube of this and if there is I'm going to not just watch it but make sure it's in the show notes so you listeners can experience this as well. Is there any Please theory do. on why the butterflies were dead? Were they just like did they overheat in there <clears throat> or like
2: So apparently they need to be a certain temperature to yeah. wake up. Uh-huh. And so I I think they were too cold so they were asleep
0: so they and then Oh. Some
2: of them were dead, though, because you could see in the boobs, that like they looked pretty fucking dead. Yeah. Um, and then so as they slowly warmed, because she was twirling and stuff, so like they would fall out of where she was meant to be revealing them from, uh-huh. and so they would fall on the stage, the stage in which two men in fucking heels are jumping and twirling, <laughs> and so they're all just getting crushed by these fucking oh, heels. No. It's... And... Even when they eliminate Asia, because obviously after that, RuPaul's like, "Um, sorry, you can't win, so you have to go home. <laughs> um, And she walks off the stage. You see her, because the stage is all like lit up and stuff. You see her on her way out, just stand right on a butterfly. Oh. It's really fucked up. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, that is quite the hard act to follow. But we are going to try by uh, moving into our season in review, spoiler-free review, I might add, of Glow Season 2. Let me clue you in.
0: Season in review.
3: Glow Season 2 sends us back to 1980s LA where the gorgeous ladies of wrestling have been given a full season order and a revolutionising television. The main cast of Season 1 are joined this time around by newcomers Victor Quinaz and Shakira Barrera as Yolanda Junkchain Rivas. Season 2 is available internationally on Netflix and consists of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 32 minutes with a 46-minute season finale and took us approximately 5 hours and 30 minutes to watch. Glow hasn't been officially renewed for a third season, though it seems inevitable. Before we get into our full review of this season, I just wanted to go back and reflect on what we thought of Season 1. Damas, do you remember... Your general thoughts on season one, what star reviewer oh, gave and so forth?
2: I think I vaguely liked it.
3: Vaguely liked it.
2: <laughs> no, I gave it five stars. I was obsessed with season one.
3: You did. I went back and listened again to the episode you did with Lauren. I actually wasn't here for that episode. I was in Japan no, at the time, so I missed out talking yep. about it. But yeah, you seem to uh, love it. You said you recommend it to anyone and everyone and gave it five yes. stars.
2: Agreed. Still would. Absolutely. And...
3: I was sad I didn't get to talk about that season because I also fucking loved season one, yeah, and no, I think you I mentioned did. on a later episode that I would have given it five stars as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think I watched the entire first season in one sitting, like just utterly adored it. I was excited by the trailer and just found the show to be an absolute gem as soon as I got there. So mm-hmm. have been looking forward to season two for a while. So, yeah. Damascus, are you prepared to go first and give your spoiler-free review for season two?
2: I mean, I'm always prepared because I always go first. That's not always,
3: but mostly. (laughs) Occasionally you force my hand here, but yes.
2: All right. So I shall go first. Are you happy with that? Yes, please. Okay. Okay. Sometimes you find a show that feeds your soul. Sometimes you find a show that reminds you that your grief or sadness or happiness or excitement are part of a shared experience, that we are all intrinsically linked to one another And seeing something that says, oh, hey, that's me, can be the catalyst for feeling that way. Glow does that for me. I love to watch this family of misfits come together and create something that is so full of energy and fun. But obviously, it's a TV show. It's more complicated than that. They are creators, but they're people with their own shit that they have to deal with. And I am here for it. I loved this season and as I said all over the internet this week, Betty Gilpin is the best actor on television right now. Mm. Her performance, not only this season, but I think in season one as well, is amazing. It's I am floored by it every single time. Her incredible balance of vulnerability and fury is captivating to watch. I think all the performances are fantastic. Um, This season is different than the first season, um, Mm -hmm. but it's still amazing. It's still glow. It's still on brand. It plays within the same themes, but explores them further. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. What's your spoiler-free review,
3: Brad? Very similar thoughts, really. The show is just a delight to watch. It's so easy. It feels effortless somehow. Effortless comedy. The writing's great. Effortless heart. Effortless character work, effortless drama, it does all of it and it does all of it like it's been doing it for 10 seasons. Like, it just has worked since episode one and is still working just as well in season two. You know exactly what it wants to be and it just does it. And it does it without fear, just with complete confidence. It, this is going to seem a little bit weird because they aren't, they're not they are similar in some ways, but they aren't the same sort of show necessarily. But it hits me as a viewer, as a, a, me personally, in the same place the community does in some ways- It's, Mm. like I said, obviously a very different show, but it does some of the same things right. The flawed characters that are still very likable, the character-focused nature of the storytelling, the drama um, that's in there, but you still want to spend time with these people because they want to spend time with each other. I don't want to give any spoilers away, but there's some moments in the middle of the season in particular that I just, like, give me the warm and fuzzies that I get Mm -hmm. from, like, Community or Parks and Rec as well, which I really like. When a show does, and we've talked about that before, they're like our favourite shows, because we like to be there and spend time with these people. And I just like, they just want likes to spend time with each other. There's a real sense of family and connection. And also what this does, similar to community, is it's brave enough to break away from its own episodic formula from time to time. There's yeah. a couple of episodes yep. in particular in this season that that just they break that, what you expect an episode of Glow to look like. And every time it does it, it succeeds. And they're great episodes. They're standout episodes, and I love that it can do that. I love the thirty-minute time um, length of the episodes as well. That's perfect for oh, me. It's Ten beautiful. episodes in the season. Beautiful. Oh, Such a uh, just, blessing. It, when I say it's effortless, it's a breeze to watch as well. Mm-hmm. I think this is a perfect season two of a series as well. In the sense that season one sort of has has a job ahead of it to try and make you fall in love with it, but introductions uh, can be. There's you get a little bit of a boost for having an introduction because you get to set the stakes, the standards, and sort of the drama going forward. And Mm. um, it can be a bit surprising and fresh because of this. Also, Season 1, you don't know if you're going to get a Season 2 at Season 1, so you tend to give yourself a bit of a mini arc that finishes things off pretty Mm. well. Um, This is a step along the road to a much longer, bigger story. It's It's sort of evolving its characters naturally. It's not trying to get too far ahead of it or finish these characters' stories off in any way. It's just sort of moving it along, and it does that very well. In That is the only thing probably for me that sets it slightly below Season 1 for me, is that Season 1 feels sort of like a complete hole on its own, and that's an advantage mm-hmm. of just being where it is, of being a Season 1. This is doing its job and not trying to come to a satisfying conclusion, but particularly I found the last episode this season doesn't compare to the last episode Of the first season for me, and so Mm -hmm. sort of by the end of it, while I'm like cool, excellent, it did everything you were meant to do. It's missing some of that freshness. It's missing some of that sort of complete arc. It's a tiny, tiny step below season one, but not by a lot. I like that's. It's not even really a criticism. It's just it's the nature of being season two.
2: I completely agree with everything that you are saying in that. I really enjoyed this season, a whole bunch. But, yeah, there is that little sliver of that's going to, I think, knock it off, off its, its five rating for me because there, it's just because it's still an amazing show, yeah. but there is less enjoyment there. I guess because the surprise of what a yeah. uh, nice little gift Glow was has gone, and I agree absolutely with what you're saying is that, Season one is so beautifully put together yeah. and is a complete package, um, and this season two is still beautifully put together. It's just a different beast slightly because of yeah. where it will fit um, within the canon or the narrative of the series as a whole, and that that's just yeah the nature of the beast. That's just what it's going to be. But because it isn't that first exciting step, it is going to be a little bit less.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think we're on the same page there as well. Um, yeah, that's about it. What would you give this score-wise out of five compared to, well, out of five?
2: I wrote f- 4.5 and then yep. next to it I did like a dash and a five question mark because I was like, I wrote down 4.5. I'm city. like, yeah, no, that's that's right. That's that's totally right. But I was like, oh, but it's like I liked it so much that I want it to be a five and yeah. f- I, I but I just because I don't love it as much as the first season, though it's pretty close. I think I have to give it a four point five just to kind of differentiate a little bit. But if I could give it like a four point eight, I would. But that's too much, so I'll give it a four point five.
3: It's a high four point five. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm exactly the same. I'm also a high four point five. It's it is just that tiny little bit less mm. exciting for me or fully. Um, enveloping in its greatness as the first season was. I think that's just the nature of the beast of being in season two. It didn't... The thing was, when you set your bar so high and, like, even just maintaining that is is great. A lot of, a lot of seasons have better season twos, but that's normally because season one is so bumpy and rocky that the next step, once you've sort of found your feet, is mm-hmm. always going to be more impressive and sort of improve on that. I think of, like, Buffy season two or Community season two or whatever. Um, this show started flying (laughs) like it started at the top and it's maintaining it's like relatively maintaining that i even think this probably has individual episodes a couple of them in particular that are better than any individual episode in the first season except for maybe the finale of season Mm -hmm. one which was terrific um but just overall yeah just as a whole entity you see how this season ends and it's like, I can't wait for season three, but I didn't have that cathartic, like, complete feeling that I had at the end mm. of season one. That's, yeah. it's it's the nothingness of criticisms. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not even, obviously, we're going to say, go and watch this show immediately. Like, it's on Netflix. Just go. Go watch it. And once you've watched Enjoy it, watch it, like, watch it a spoil second time. Like, yourself
2: for an afternoon. That's what all, is also great about this show. It's like, you can watch it in an afternoon into an evening. Just yeah. like- Yeah, get some popcorn happening, get some fizzy drinks, and just have a good time.
3: Go watch it. Come back and listen to the podcast. Go and watch it again. Go and watch it several more times before Season 3 comes out, which hasn't been confirmed yet, unfortunately, but I'm assuming it will because it's- It's gotta be. Doing pretty well, I think. It's certainly set up that way. All right.
4: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Burrow.com slash
3: ACAST Um, That was our spoiler free review let's get into the spoiler zone and do some deep dive discussion on this season
4: You're now entering the spoiler zone
3: Spoiler warning, on this episode we will be discussing everything that happens in Season 2 of Glow. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Glow up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned.
4: Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask
2: The gang's all here and they're ready for their close-up. The only problem is that the director, Sam, has no interest in them right now. So Ruth takes everyone on a fun trip to the mall to film an opening title sequence. They frolic about and are proud to show Sam and Bash what they did. Sam freaks the fuck out because he is a man-baby, and to show everyone just how powerful he is, he fires Reggie. Oh, we'll miss you, Reggie. The girls are feeling pretty vulnerable at the moment since they all sign their souls and leotards to the devil via KDTV's contract. Except for Debbie Egan. She uses her star power to get a producer title. She quickly realises that that title doesn't mean a whole lot if the two dickheads you work with keep ignoring you. So Debbie does what every woman has to do, and that's work twice as hard as the white men in the room. The show is chugging along pretty well, but the ladies' personal lives get a tad complicated. Ruth sets her eyes on a camera guy, and Debbie does not approve. She convinces Ruth to stay late and help her with some editing. I wish I could use editing to emotionally manipulate someone, but I can't see myself convincing anyone to stay back and watch me fill around on Final Cut Pro. Ah, how things have changed. Ruth does whatever Debbie wants because she desperately misses her friend and is also pretty terrified of Debbie's anger, which is fair, Angry Debbie is genuinely terrifying. And, you know, she has plenty to be angry about. Debbie has a sweet little garage sale after receiving a Gumtree inquiry from Mark's new secretary slash girlfriend, and Tamay has to confront playing an offensive stereotype when her son comes to see the show. And all of our hearts broke. But despite their personal and professional sacrifices, the show is punished and moved to a a 2am time slot. Everyone is confused. They thought they were doing well, but Ruth knows their performance has nothing to do with it. She was lured to a meeting with a skeezy TV executive who sexually harasses her. Thankfully, she manages to get out of the situation before something truly horrific happens, but it pisses the sexual predator off and he decides to punish everyone for his shitty behaviour. Classic dude. The girls and Bash think that all they need to do is hit harder, run faster and maybe grow a phallus and then they'll be able to get their old time slot back. Everyone works incredibly hard and they produce an amazing show. But Debbie's had a hard day of dealing with her shitty life, so she starts the Sam Sylvia diet, which is just snorting cocaine off of a typewriter. So she's all hopped up on go-go juice when she fights Ruth. Surprise, surprise, it doesn't go well. And Ruth gets her leg ripped clean off. The glow ladies rush Ruth to the hospital with the help of the sweet camera guy. And while they chill out in recovery, everyone bonds and is super cheery. But where is Debbie? Well, she's trying to come down and compartmentalise what she's done. It's important to analyse a situation and convince yourself of victimhood before you dive into any confrontation. So, once she's done that, she heads over to the hospital to hang out with Ruth. They're able to be civil for approximately 10 minutes before it devolves into a screaming match. Ruth cries about having a crap life and Debbie stealing the one thing that she has and Debbie screams about the fact that Ruth fucked her husband and that that trumps any qualm Ruth might have. You know, it doesn't end very well. But we know these crazy kids can't stay away from one another. They eventually decide to tentatively be friendly towards one another. It really is baby steps with these ladies. Well, it's like two baby steps forward and seven adult steps backwards. Uh, What else? Oh, Justine's mum comes back in town and is a tad annoyed that she's been lied to about her daughter's location for months, so she decides to drag Justine back home. Sam tries real hard to keep her, but ultimately he's a lonely and mean film director who only cares about himself for 95% of the time, and what mother would leave their kid with him? So he gets very sad about this and decides that the only thing to heal his blues is to try and kiss Ruth. She pulls away, though. She's definitely not interested in going down that dark and twisty path. Good girl, Ruth. You've done the right thing. Instead, she goes over to Camera Guy's house for some blockbuster and chill. They make out. It's cute. It's so, so cute. And it's fabulous to see Ruth finally make some healthy choices. It's the final show of the season, and everyone is aiming to impress potential new buyers of the show in the audience. It seems to be their only way of getting out of that 2am time slot. It's a real piece of entertainment, particularly with a wedding between Bash and Rhonda for a green card and then a battle royale match over a bouquet. Zoya is triumphant after some surprising wire work that would make even Pink jealous. Everything could be looking up, but KDTV refuses to give up the rights to any other broadcaster. But don't fret everyone, a magical strip club owner offers them an opportunity of a lifetime They'll get to have their own show in Vegas in front of thousands of people and they might even make some money. So the ladies all ride off into the sunset heading towards endless possibility. The end.
4: Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. All right,
3: I think the best place to start is just maybe diving into our lead characters to begin with and their sort of storylines ongoing this season. The obvious choice Mm -hmm. to start with here is Ruth. She's sort of proposed as being the um, protagonist of the show, though you could argue Debbie is equally, and Sam's up there as well. At least at the main three. Um, mm-hmm. But let's talk about Ruth and Debbie's ongoing relationship. Season one set the stakes with them. Ruth had slept with uh, Debbie's husband Mark, I believe his name is, and yes, that's right. they had been best friends. They had a falling out. They end up working this show together. That tension is evident off and out of the ring and in the ring. By the end of the season, they sort of have managed to work together to sort of create this great pilot for GLOW. But we end on the line, I think we're not there yet from Debbie, when Ruth is trying to sort of like, hey, we're best mates again. And so we mm-hmm. start this season with them in a complicated place, basically, where they're going to have to continue working together. They've obviously worked well together, but it's a cr- it's a tense um, workplace environment, friendship environment for them at the very yeah, least. Yeah, it,
2: it certainly seems to me that they, particularly Debbie, but I think both, partially at least, are in a state of denial <laughs> of yeah. their circumstance, which is they're just kind of like, we'll get the job done. We have to be in this space together. And we're just not going to acknowledge or really think about what's happened, what's happened between us. Um, so there is just a huge disconnect between them throughout the entire season, I think until a later episode when they actually have a confrontation. But until then, it's just kind of like, well, let's just do the work. There's clearly s- strange power dynamics between us, but we can pretend that that is just work-related and not so much about our lifetime of experiences together.
3: Well, it comes out not just in their individual, like in their personal um, interaction with each other, but in the, how they work. So, in the first episode, Ruth sort of takes the lead on shooting a intro for uh, uh, the Glow, basically, like your mm-hmm. opening credit sequence, which Debbie takes some umbrage with because she... Uh, what, what What's her real problem with that one, really? She... Um, I think she just doesn't like the idea of sort of Ruth being the favourite there, that she's getting more power or any of those sorts of things going on here. She works just as hard. She's the star of the show sort of thing. Also, she holds a massive grudge against Ruth. (laughs) for. Yeah, I
2: mean, she is dismissive of Ruth's enthusiasm, I think. Not for anything that is necessarily work-related, but I think she just resents any sign of Ruth trying to be friendly with her. And so when Ruth is like, oh, come on, we're like all a family going to do this together and Debbie, yeah. you're going to do it too. Debbie is just like, don't talk to me. Like, <laughs> that's not our relationship at all. And so then when Debbie's like, oh, well, I've got to go shopping anyway. And Ruth kind of invites everyone along. Debbie does it because yeah. I think she does enjoy in- enjoy the work, enjoy doing that kind of stuff, even though it is silly and she kind of acts like it's beneath her. But it's more just like she sees Ruth continually like kind of pushing her boundaries, which she has firmly placed up. And so she just resents any kind of sign of that.
3: What's interesting as well is Debbie is very much interested in – increasing her own profile, trying to get the most that she can out of this situation. I think she, she sees it as more of a job, obviously, than Ruth does. Ruth sees it as a, something that she's really passionate and enthusiastic about. As you said, she sees the family side of things. as the best job she's ever had. Debbie, on the other hand, has had her job on her soap opera and has sort of stepped backwards and needs work because she's now going to be a single mom and she needs to be making money and be the breadwinner. She knows what she's worth as well and she's trying to get the best possible deal for herself. Totally fine. What's interesting, though, is how that tends to, Debbie then seems to subtly throw or use the fact that she's been able to gain some sort of power and status back at Ruth a bit as well. Like, she's a little bit antagonistic with Ruth about that. It's passive aggressive in it in a sense, but it's like when she closes the door on Ruth mm. at the end of episode one, because she's having a meeting directly with Sam, that's a passive aggressive, you know, power move. There, she's making a statement. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I felt like it was kind of. I never got her being even super focused on Ruth in that moment. Right. I think she was just like, I'm not just a performer. It's not so much about Ruth and her dynamic. She's like, oh, you you girls are on the outside, and I'm on the inside. I need to be in control of my own life. I yep. mean, I'm, I'm, I don't doubt that that was probably in the scene. That's just not how I read it. I didn't see it as her <clears throat> having a dig at Ruth in any way. It was her just kind of like taking control.
3: Because, like, I agree with you because there's, I think there's two sides to it because her motives for doing, like, wanting to become a producer and wanting to get, you know, more pay in those things come from a place that I totally understand. I think Debbie's... Is right to do that, you know? She's not gonna just sign the contract like an idiot. She understands that she can throw her weight around and get a better deal for herself. And she does. And good for her, as she should, right? But to me, it read like she was she was making sure she enjoyed the moment where she got to push Ruth out of the room and keep her out of the room. As she took a role next to Sam with some sort of authority, she struggles with that authority, even exerting herself as a producer later as the season goes on. But mm-hmm. I felt that I felt that again when Debbie deliberately um, keeps Ruth from going on her date with the cameraman guy as well. Like she's oh making- yeah, that's
2: I mean that's overtly in that scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's her. Yeah, I don't, it's yeah, I because I've watched it through twice now, yeah. and I think. We get hints with Debbie saying things like, oh, he's just a sleazy camera guy. Yeah. And I think you see perhaps a dynamic that existed within their friendship in which Ruth would make terrible mistakes, particularly around men, and Debbie would be like the judgmental controlling one, being like, oh, my God, you can't do that. You can't do that. Or even trying to
3: come from a protective standpoint, like it can almost be a sisterly like, I know better than what's better for you, I'm trying to help you out here, even if Ruth doesn't see it. And probably I think Debbie was out of line just to to act that way, but it might come from that sort of place as well. Yeah, well,
2: that's what I love about the complexity of yeah. this, because I think probably there's a part of Debbie that thinks that she's acting from that sisterly place, mm. um, whereas I think she's also at the same time in denial that she would ever feel sisterly towards Ruth yes, and be loving in that way. And then also we have another layer of the fact that she wants to continue to punish Ruth. Yes. So there's so many different layers to their relationship that I think you could probably take any scene with those two characters together and just – infer or take away, like, so many different things. Yeah, Because I think both the performances from both of those women are amazing um, and there's just so much to dig through.
3: The The punishing, wanting to punish Ruth bit is the bit that really stands out to me the most, though. Mm. And yes. I don't – I definitely think it's more nuanced than this, but I kept wondering at different times if the show was trying to – like, from moment to moment it changed – But it did seem at times they were overtly trying to make Debbie the villain or the closest thing to a bad guy in this show. Whereas last season, I thought it was easy to think of Ruth that way, especially when you see how the show starts. Ruth was Mm. sort of, was more in the wrong at the time. Obviously, sleeping with her best friend's husband is a pretty bad move. Um, And while I don't think we necessarily have to forgive Ruth completely and neither should Debbie, the... Nature with which Ruth is really trying her best to, mm-hmm. if not mend that friendship, at least allow them to move on from that and maybe prevent further punishment. But Debbie is so dead set on making sure she mm. keeps punishing Ruth. And so the big fight that happens in episode, I think it's six, whatever it is, um, the, after after Debbie breaks um, Ruth's ankle is Mm. incredible. Probably the best scene in the entire show for this season, if you ask me. In which Ruth expressed exactly that. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but you just keep wanting to punish me. And I'm not really feeling or getting a lot from Debbie. I understand her frustrations. I understand, obviously, she was really hurt by what happened with Ruth. But that's the thing. It's just that, again. It's like she keeps coming back to, you know, you did this. So, when, like, yes, Mm -hmm. she, she broke Ruth's ankle, but you slept with my husband. I'm now going through a divorce. My life is falling apart. And Ruth mm-hmm. is constantly having to be punished for that. I don't know. How do you feel about that?
2: I think, you know, what, you, what you're what you saying is, is absolutely right. But I also understand w- why Debbie is stuck in that, particularly with Ruth. I think we see her in other areas of her life trying to move through the tragedy of what, what's happened to the life that she wanted. So we see that outside of the relationship with Ruth. But with the Ruth thing, I think it's the frustrated frustration there is that there is this person who's been like, I've been trying to make it right, like trying to move forward, take steps to move forward. Yeah. Which is like, well, yeah, you can take those steps because your life didn't fall apart.
0: Yeah, Like. yeah.
2: You're the one with very little damage done to your life. Like yeah. stop trying to make it right. That's not your job. That's not the thing that you can do. And yeah. Debbie's trying to make it right for herself. That's the important thing. You're 100% for right.
3: The yeah. the tragedy there of what Debbie is going through. We see her at home struggling with the divorce, struggling to be, a, you know, the best mum she can be, struggling as a single parent, struggling to even live in the home that she had with her ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-husband. I think the divorce papers are signed by the end of the season. Yeah, struggling to come to like the right decisions for what she should be doing, struggling to make enough money for herself that she can be that independent mum. And then, yeah, Ruth has just sort of, yeah, had a falling out with her best friend. But otherwise, she's now got a, you know, for the first time in her life, is a leading lady in a television show and has a career and is even mm. looking at other prospects in terms of dating, which is exciting new for her. And Debbie, even the idea of dating just exhausts her. Like, yeah. that's not what she had planned. She didn't want to be dating again. For Ruth, that made sense. <laughs> that was the next step in her life, but it wasn't for Debbie. Um, yeah. I think
2: that's another thing with, like, their, their different views of the experience of being in GLOW. Mm. Ruth is so full of this positive energy. Like, she's, you know come into the industry really for the first time and debbie is just like i'm like i had a career and now i have to build another one and so i'm not going to start at the bottom rung with you guys i don't want to have to be scrappy to kind of make it for 10 15 years i'm going to come in use what i have which is my name and at least kind of get up there at, at a at a higher rung so that Mm -hmm. I don't have to do that again. And yeah, and I think once again, Ruth's need to kind of impose herself on how Debbie does things is just the wrong strategy.
3: The bit, the probably the most egregious thing that Debbie does obviously in this season though, is breaking Ruth's ankle. And in doing so, that's
2: not what I was thinking at all.
3: Well well, uh, well, we'll come back to what you were thinking because for me, the craziness there is obviously she did something incredibly unprofessional, especially when you consider the physical nature of their work mm. by yeah. using cocaine beforehand, put herself in a position where she could not perform correctly. She could not do it safely and mm. she hurt her co-star in doing so. Now, a couple of things are particularly bad there. One, the unprofessional nature of it. Though i got to say I was really happy that I was really worried when the cocaine showed up. This is going to become a, another drug story, like someone yeah. who's spiraling and has a drug addiction. I was like... Special That's not-
2: episode or three episodes, yeah.
3: Or a season, like it's what, season six of Buffy, right? Like, I've I've done that <laughs> storyline enough times now. I think I've mentioned this in another one. It's like, I don't need to... I, I mean, you can't keep it out of story. It's, it's real drama. It's real life. It's going to show up sometimes. But I'm glad it didn't go too far. It was just a moment and was more about the um, unprofessional nature of it. But more importantly for me, it was about that while they're dealing with Ruth's actions, you know, back at the start of the first season, and they are talking about it and whether or not Debbie feels like Ruth has paid the price yet, Debbie has not owned up to what she did. Nobody knows just how bad things were. People are asking if she did intentionally, and that's one Mm. question that's inaccurate. But nowhere during their fight... Has Debbie owned up to her mistake, which to me is the most the worst thing about all of this. It wasn't just the unprofessional yeah. nature of it. It's just there is they are not on the level on a level playing field because Debbie is not letting herself be criticized for the thing that she actually did really wrong here. And she's mm-hmm. she's not owning she's not making herself vulnerable or yeah, putting herself on the same um sacrificial sort of altar that Ruth has been doing for two seasons now. And I think yeah, that's really Debbie- important.
2: Debbie is only comfortable being vulnerable if she is in the place of a victim yes that's exactly. the only vulnerability that she is comfortable with huh so if you if I mean to be vulnerable in shame for her that's not an option yes. she is going nowhere near that yeah and that's you know a big part of her problem is that because of that she has a real problem connecting with people Mm -hmm. and we see that with like you know the family of girls how much she is just not a part of that because she isn't able to be truly vulnerable with anyone
3: um what was the thing you thought that that was the most egregious thing she did this season
2: oh i mean i know it was probably like scripted and stuff and it was only made so awful because of the particular. i mean it was just awful let's be honest um, was when she was telling Tamay to get a job as welfare queen. Oh yeah, get a job, and I put an apron on her and like gave her a broom and stuff, and was talking about how many kids she has, and I was just like, "Oh my god, that is that's really full on, that's really full on."
3: I want to talk about that episode specifically in a little bit.
2: Yeah, no worries.
3: But that it that it really hit home for the first time just how problematic. Liberty Bell as a character is <clears throat> not just like the stereotypes of the other characters, whether it's Beirut or Machu Picchu or Fortune Cookie or Welfare Queen, but the but Liberty Bell and what that expresses when she is, you know, tearing down these other characters because mm. she's the victor, she's the everyone the one that everyone's cheering for that predominantly white audience. Th- yeah, it, that I episode mean- hits me hard.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we, like, in the epi- episode eight where we actually get to watch the show yes. and we realise how much of a joke Liberty Bell is, yes. th- in in those instances I'm like, oh, great, right, it's a parody of that kind of idea, that kind of nationalism. But then we also have um, in an earlier episode, I'm pretty sure, um, it which, yeah, it is the one where she tells Welfare Queen to get a job where Machu Picchu c- comes out from – Performing, and it's like, oh, there's a little girl in the front row wearing red, white, and blue for Liberty Bell. Yeah. Which just tells us that, you know, what they are doing in that space, in that ring, ripples out and creates waves. And like a little girl can see herself in Liberty Bell, but then obviously a little girl that looks like Tame will see that and be affected by that, and that will be like burnt into her memory. As something that, like, someone that represented the American ideal Mm -hmm. did to someone that looks like her, which is so fucked up.
3: It is. And I'm... It's a part of the show. And I think some people criticize the show for maybe not dealing with that stuff enough or directly. I think people want to be more overt that they're... That this, like, this is bad. That these caricatures, these stereotypes are bad. But I think that's pretty obvious. And when they do use it, they tend to do it... Like that episode, they do it in such a powerful way. It's like Mm. you cannot deny this show understands that these are problematic and they're meant to be problematic because you need to see this in context of the period of what these women have to do to get roles at all, that they have to live with these stereotypes to even exist in this profession.
2: Yeah. This is like... Yeah. It comes back to... the balance of this show in which we are able to see the effect of playing a stereotype mm-hmm. and the effect that it has on the performer and their community. But we also understand that because of the culture that this show takes place in, the time period that the show takes place in, these women have limited opportunities. Yeah, They are aware of portraying stereotypes, what that is going to do to their communities because they are women of color themselves they are super fucking aware of that and i think we see that in the conversation that she has with her son he knows that he knows the consequences of that he knows like what it can do to people and he he also recognizes the culture that his mother lives in the time period that she had to raise him in so that he could go to an amazing school so he could be treated with a semblance of dignity that he has a right to, but has, been, but has been denied him simply because of the colour of his skin. These characters all know that. And I think, you know, most viewers fucking know that. If you know anything about, you know, the 80s or just being a person of colour in America or many other Western countries, we're hyper aware of it. But I think this show does a great thing of showing what it does to the people. And also, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And there is strength in that, even if it's kind of grey.
3: I think we should probably just talk about this episode now since we've dived so far into it. So, episode four, Mother of All Matches, for me, was probably the best episode of the season. Mm-hmm. It is when the season really took off for me. I was like, oh, fuck, I love this series. It I, There was just so many times where I couldn't believe what it was doing. Even just the setup at the start of like the... Awful stereotypes that they were using. I love some of the lines as well. There was one at the start when they're sort of... They're they're previewing the match between Welfare Queen and Liberty Bell. I call this Liberty Bell special. It's all white meat and I found it in the trash. But that was just like a really funny line. It Mm. existed in that awful stereotype but was just also really well written and sort of insightful (laughs) at the same time. The setup that um, these two characters are going to face off and then that became... The way that the episode played out, it was just about Tamei and it was just about Debbie, basically, that episode Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. These two mothers and what this show and this job or where they are in their lives, what this means to them and their relationship with their children was so interesting as well. And so well done. I just couldn't get over. So, obviously, the wrestling it's always fake, right? The wrestling is a performance. There are no actual stakes because the results are predetermined. It's all just a a dance, a show, right?
2: Yeah. Or if you take coke and then break someone's leg, but yes. well,
3: sure, right? But these this is meant. These are not meant to have actual real stakes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what's amazing is how they can make this have such incredible stakes. By having this fight between Liberty Bell and Welfare Queen, by having Tamay's son, who I think his name's Ernest, in the crowd, by having her deal emotionally with watching her son look at her in tears because of what's happening, and Mm -hmm. then have the amazing payoff at the end where he is obviously troubled and offended by what his mother is involved with, but also incredibly proud of her and stands by her and understands... Mm -hmm. That what she is doing does not represent who she is. That mm-hmm. you know everything that she sacrificed for him. Fucking, I, I had to pause it a couple of times because I was getting so emotional watching it. I just found it to yeah. be it cut it me. It
2: floors you. It really does floor you.
3: Absolutely floored me. Could yeah. not get over how good it was. It's probably one of the best episodes of television I've seen all year. Like <laughs> wow. it was a five star episode to me. I fucking mm. loved it.
2: It was great. I'm. I mean. The way that this show explores mothers as people looks (laughs) revolutionary to me and that's shocking. I was watching it and I didn't realise that that was something that so many of the narratives, most of the narratives that I have acquired in my brain that have contributed to my perception of the world... Barely had any stories about mothers like this. Sure, which is yeah. concerning, but also really exciting when you do get to see it. And I love that. I think Bash is announcing and he's <laughs> when Liberty Bell's um, child is stolen. Savannah Rose, um, which I love that name.
0: Yeah.
2: and And the way that Betty Gilpin says it. And Bash says what is a mother without a child, just a person? I have Which that is line a-
3: highlighted as well for that exact reason. <laughs> it's it was so such a funny. great line.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the way he said, like, it's just great. But also this show dives into that. Like, so much I, of this episode is about Debbie is just dealing with the shit of her life that I forgot that she had a kid as well until she got that phone call. And she's like, oh, my God, I forgot my kid. I was like, oh. <gasps> That's right, you are a mother, but that is not your defining factor, which I really liked.
3: I loved also the ending of that, though, where, yes, she forgot her kid, but she didn't forget her kid. Like, she's yeah. ripping the furniture out of the house. Every You know, it's a take-everything-from-me sale, but do not go into this room. Leave this room mm-hmm. alone. She would never, yeah. ever, ever do anything that was going to be at the detriment of her child, except when she no. accidentally forgets to pick the child up. <laughs> and I also love the conversation she has with Mark where, you know, they're talking about what's going on with her and she asks, did you say, are you calling me a bad mother? He's like, I didn't say that. Because he wasn't saying that. He doesn't think Mm. that or believe that. But he's worried about her and that Mm -hmm. she is struggling. Um, Yes. And, yeah, all valid positions to have, I think. Yeah, and he's
2: worried about her propensity to take things too far, which is something that we continuously see uh, Debbie to do.
3: Absolutely.
2: Very astute, Mark.
3: Let's go back to Ruth for a bit, finish mm-hmm. off with some of the Ruth storylines. The other big storylines with Ruth involves Sam in this season. Um, mm-hmm. There's this ongoing tension with Sam um, that she starts to re- sort of flex her natural creative and leadership ability. And Sam is very insecure about that. I think he has a line <laughs> about this in a future episode. I'm, I'm an old man and I get insecure about the insecure old man sue me or something like that. Yeah. um, And that causes tension. He starts sort of freezing her out. He fires fucking Reggie um, because she stands up for Ruth as well. um, And then they sort of come to a resolution on that when things happen involving the show being cancelled. We'll get back to how that happens in a bit. They sort of come to an understanding. Sam admits that he overreacted. That moves on. And then it moves into... Well, what did you think about that, by the way? That just sort of drama based on the... Him, his insecurity about Ruth encroaching on his directing sort of what do you call it? I, I found
2: that a really helpful way to remind us of who Sam is mm-hmm. that he's not just this kind of like curmudgeonly, you know, coke head that's actually lovable, that there is a side to him that is incredibly venomous and toxic. So I think that's a really good reminder to audience members that this guy has teeth. Um, and while, yes, he does have, you know, a lovable air about him, um, that we can't let our guard down all the way. That's what I think, like, firing... Well, fighting with Ruth and then firing Reggie kind of demonstrates to us.
3: Um, and then then the second half of the season, there is this lean slightly into a romantic thing. Basically... Sam and Ruth have sort of had a connection since season one. He Mm -hmm. does some very nice things for her when she needs to go have an abortion in season one. He's supportive of her there. Obviously, he sees her talent, he, you know, recognises that they have a connection. And that leads him to a place where I think he thinks there's something more romantic going on there. Mm. First question, do you think Ruth thinks that at all? Do you think Ruth shares any of these feelings that he does?
2: Um, yeah, I do. I think she, it's, I think it's something that she kind of plays around with. Like she enjoys the attention that he gives to her when he does give it. And that's why she kind of strives for his approval so often. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't think it's just, um, creatively. <clears throat> uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
3: It's not just professional. It's No, it's no, but... I
2: don't, I don't think it is.
3: And is it? I th- is it romantic though? Because I think a lot of what it, a lot of her actions come from a place of being comfortable and like friendship there, of camaraderie, but not necessarily. I romantic. think it comes
2: from inferiority. <laughs> I oh, think sure, okay. Ruth has an inferiority complex and a way to prove herself is through her acquisition of men, men that she sees of value. Acquiring that is important, that says something about her and that's what she strives for. Um, And that's why she's probably had so many terrible relationships. That's probably why she slept with her best friend's husband. Mm. Um, And so I think it's more of that, but but I'm not saying that she's aware of that's the motivation, but I think that probably is the motivation. And I think... um, how we, how we track that is then in the episode Rosalie, when she's talking to Rosalie and um, she's talking about, you know, she's finally met this really nice guy who's stable and lovely and she's just over being with men who are like hot and cold and we yeah. see that flicker of um, recognition or that spark of like, oh shit, I'm seeing myself, I'm like that's who I am, that's who I've always been in romantic relationships or just friendships with men or anything is like, oh, yeah, no, I, yeah. Maybe going after the hot and cold guy all the time, not a great idea.
3: Yeah. I, um, I guess when it comes to where the story might be going with Ruth and Sam, I hope it doesn't really go somewhere romantic with it. I don't really look at those two and go, oh, yeah, you, these need to be, one true pairings or whatever. Do you know what I mean? No,
2: they. I see them and I'm like, oh, they're two unhappy people that feel comfortable with each other because they recognize each other's unhappiness. Yeah. I don't look at them and go, ooh, they're my OTP of glow. Absolutely not. Yeah.
3: I'm just hoping the show doesn't see that either. I just think, like, you look at the age difference and stuff. I've seen too many shows where the younger woman ends up with the older guy, where, you know, the guy who so. sort of- what was that? I don't
2: think that's going to... I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I don't think I really so either. don't have any concerns about that.
3: Yeah, I don't know. When it, when it leans into it at all, I worry. But it's... I think... And I, I think this show does a pretty good job of it. Like, she doesn't indulge this at all. I think can understand why he would go there in particular, why he mm-hmm. would sing as romantic, especially when he's having this like this ex-lover show up, he's had his divorce and so forth as well. Um he this woman is his daughter. Yeah. yeah, right. This woman is ended his life and is like making improving it for him, and he seems to have a connection with her, and he thinks it might be romantic and so explores it for a second, but doesn't seem to be too attached to it either. He's not I mean, he was, the thing was, it was interesting, he does have this element of jealousy about him. Like when the camera guy, whose name I can't remember, is the one who helps Ruth into the car and then so forth. Mm. He's got this real, like, I could have done that, buddy. Like, don't overstep your bounds thing, which is a little bit odd. But by the end of the season, I think he's got past that as well. And I think it was a good element to explore because you couldn't ignore it completely. It had to be had to be mentioned or touched on, but I hope Mm -hmm. it's not something they plan to do more with, if that makes sense. Yeah, no,
2: I think the point is that Sam is insecure. That's who he is. And we also have to acknowledge that in season one, he had a romantic relationship with one of the girls. So it's certainly within his nature to do that, um, to kind of like make romantic or sexual advances on the women around him, no no matter who they are. And I think in although he has developed a friendship with Ruth, I think in that moment where she's been around, they've been really good buddies, and just it's just been pretty much told to him that Justine is going and there's no chance of her staying with him and he's going to be alone. And so the first thing he does is walk over to Ruth, grab her, dance with her on the dance floor and try to make out with her so he doesn't have to go home alone. I, I, I think every... Action that has a romantic overtone between them is clearly skewed to be viewed as negative. Every yes. fr- I mean, a lot of the friendship stuff, great, positive, that's a lot of times skewed to be really good stuff. Yep. The romantic stuff, I think from memory, is being like, oh, that's a bad idea. And we all know that's a bad idea.
3: Yeah, well, Ruth, Ruth really, I was really happy that she asserted herself and just sort of walked away and said, no, nah, I'm going to leave now. Goodbye. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. See, goodbye. I'm out of here good now. Good choice. Good choice. Um and it was a good choice. And it was a choice I wasn't sure what was gonna have to be made there because of some of the stuff that happened with the executive earlier on. So then my mm-hmm. trying to like, oh no, this is better, this is healthier. But no, this is this is wrong in its own ways. Don't do this either, Ruth. And I was really glad when mm-hmm. she didn't too. She had a yeah. good lot of growth this season, Ruth. Pretty happy with that. Let's quickly just continue with Sam for a second since we're talking about Justine. How do we feel about this ongoing sort of like learning to be a dad storyline? for Sam in this season? Because I personally felt like it's good, it's there, Mm. it's just just there and the Rosalie episode definitely gives us the most of it but I didn't Mm. think it was super well explored through the rest of the season. It was just there enough to make Rosalie work and then hopefully Justine comes back next season we can keep going with this because I don't think it's, we haven't reached the peak yet.
2: No, not at all. I think it's a nice little bit, for me it felt like Background detail a lot of the time, and not necessarily like a major plot line. I think Mm. it helped ground. That's calling Mark ground Sam in a few episodes where maybe he didn't have a whole lot to do in regards to the other ladies. Um, so I think that was a a good place to put him. Um, and I think where we take it at the end of the season is really good. But yeah, it it certainly wasn't a major plot point in my mind while watching it. Just a nice bit of extra stuff in there.
3: Yeah, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't as fleshed out as the other stuff, and I don't think it really Mm -hmm. was trying to be. Sam is not as important in this story as Debbie and Ruth are. He is obviously very heavily involved in the ongoing plot stuff revolving around the TV show. He has to be. He has his connections and problems with Ruth and Debbie, but... He is not the main player here and I don't think they give him that, you know, give him just the right amount of attention, I think. Yep, agreed. Uh, Um, The last thing with Ruth before we move on to Debbie, there is that episode in the middle, um, Perverts to People Too, I think is the name of the episode, where mm. we have our hashtag Me Too movement storyline, where yes. Ruth is invited to a dinner with an executive this is exciting for her. Obviously, career opportunities. She's feeling recognized, like she, maybe she's going to get her leg up. She go. It's a dinner meeting. She goes there, finds out the meeting is going to take place in this guy's room. Mm-hmm. She's concerned immediately. She walks to the door. And one of my favorite moments, little subtle moments in this, was when she opens the door and Glenn's there. And the mm. the relief that floods over her, that mm. there is another person there that she knows and trusts or knows well enough. That it's not yeah. just going to be her and this man alone. I thought was perfectly played, um, and then to see that evolve into what it does, it never gets to, it never gets to a really, you know, terribly overt place. But it gets to a gross place, very you know, yeah. you know, hey, show me your wrestling moves, and I'm going to put the jacuzzi on a blah, and you're Ugh. like. All, you, all you're thinking and saying the whole time is "Run, Ruth, run," <laughs> and she mm. does, and you're like, "Thank fuck, she got out of there." This is awful, but then to see the consequences for, well, let, to to very clearly, I thought, illustrate the power dynamics here when critics 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 of the hashtag Me Too movement that's sort of going on, and things are like, "Why didn't you talk about this earlier?" Or "Why did you do in the first place?" Or "What do you think was going to happen when you went and had a meeting with?" a man in his hotel room or his office alone or whatever, right? They perfectly illustrate why that's an unfair thing to do when Ruth is explaining how she struggled career-wise, right? Mm -hmm. She's had all these hurdles put up in her place. She's only for the first time ever doing something at all. She, you know, he keeps saying things like, oh, you should be doing more, you know? She's like, this is the best job I've ever had. Like... I've been overlooked and all these things the entire time. He And he sits there and nods with her and agrees with her that she's underappreciated. But the thing that's bullshit is he's is the one with the power to fix that, but instead he's going to abuse it. And this is yep. the problem. The power dynamics are so fucking skewed. I loved that they didn't have to go over the top and do a PSA about it, but it was clear in there as well. Sorry, I'm going on a little yeah, bit.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a pretty important um, story to tell if you're making a show about making a show in the 80s. Like, I think this kind of thing probably has to be in there if you're making a show that is, you know, fully cast with women and all of the, you know, big wigs are men except for one female producer who's having to struggle to get any kind of recognition in that role. Um, I I don't know... I don't really want to talk about the the bigger issues of me too no, or no or any of that kind of stuff. I just like mm. really want to focus in on how well they did that scene yep. in the hotel room. yeah, I think that's so wonderfully done that there's something so scary <laughs> about that situation. I mean as soon as she got the call with in her hotel room when she was with Sheila and she's like, Oh, he wants to talk about my career and I was like, Fuck. Oh God, please don't do that. Cause we all know now, now yeah. we all know what that is going to mean. Yeah. Um and thank goodness we all know that now. So now when young actresses get that call, don't do that. Um But the with in that scene, when Glenn leaves and you see her silently just kind of freaking out, yeah. but also not wanting to make a big deal because you know we as women are not supposed to make a big deal about otherwise we're you know being hysterical yeah, and so she just tries to keep things moving, go along with it, and then like he, he wants to wrestle, and yes. it's well my skin just started to crawl because like maybe not to that extent. But we've all, I think all women have had that conversation where a man is just kind of like overstepping the boundaries in a way that you can't be like, well, that's really fucked up. (laughs) Like, I don't know what you're doing, dude, but like, stop it. Yeah. Because they say it in like that jokey way, like just having a bit of fun. It comes from an
3: innocent place, theoretically, but it's.
2: like, oh, which like, can't you take a joke? Like, I'm just having a bit of fun, just having a bit of fun. Um, making you feel crazy when you know something's wrong and mm-hmm. that you feel uncomfortable, which is the only important thing in that situation is whether you feel comfortable, but yeah. you're made to feel crazy for even kind of questioning that. And then when she's got him in the headlock and he is just like, I don't even want to say nuzzling because that sounds too affectionate, but his his head is in between her boobs. Yeah. And we just have like a shot, like a, a shot of her face and she is just like defeated and upset and, and but also you see like this kind of glazing over checking out thing, which I think a lot of women have done as well, and which you, yeah. uh, you get to a point where you're like, oh god, this is happening. Just like kind of check out a little bit. Just like just pretend to be somewhere else for a second and until it's safe and you can get the fuck out of there. Which yeah. she does, which is great. But that scene the entire time I was just like oh, uh, we've all been there and it's gross and it's awful, yeah.
3: I loved her expression as she walked away though Once she was out and sort of walking, you know, out of the restaurant and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: The the mix of like anger that had happened, the fear of what could have happened or what was going to happen mm-hmm. now and the like disgust and the violation and how she was feeling about herself and the situation, and everything was crystal clear on Alison yeah. Bree's face in that moment as well. Thought that was perfectly acted. So, just on the role of, like, we're talking about the pseudo-villainy of Debbie, Debbie Mm -hmm. has also Mm. suggested that Ruth should have gone along with this and uh, maybe not, you know, slept with him, but played along a little bit better. Got to
2: tease the idea to get Played the
3: game differently and not just stormed out the way she did. How did you feel about that moment?
2: Obviously, I disagree with Debbie's (laughs) viewpoint. Obviously, I do. But no,
3: <laughs> whoa, but no,
2: no, no, I, I disagree with her viewpoint, absolutely. But in talking about the like where the character is coming from, she is so annoyed at so angry, and I think a lot of women who attack those that come out in support of the Me Too movement and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Debbie is so angry at Ruth for refusing to play the game because Debbie has felt as though she didn't have a choice. Yeah, and so it's she's so this is just another reason for Debbie to be resentful and be like, "You are selfish! Like I've had to, you know, flirt with big wigs and let them touch my knee and do a whole bunch of stuff. Like what the what the fuck is wrong with you? Like do you think you're better than everyone? This is the game. This is how we play it. It's just pure anger and dismay at." And resentment when you find out that someone was capable of standing up for themselves in the way that you felt that you couldn't. Yeah. And that's what it is. I, do I think, you know, she genuinely wanted Ruth to do that? No, I don't. But it just comes from a place of feeling shit about yourself.
3: The things that Debbie does say that are true is that that was was just the environment or that has for a long time, even up until Mm. recently, just been the environment, the truth of their experience as women Mm -hmm. in that industry and a lot of industries really is exactly (coughs) the one that Ruth went through. She's right about that. She's wrong to say or suggest at all that Ruth should have gone along with it, but she's right and that, that is the reality of that industry and that world, unfortunately. Yeah, that was a really interesting conversation. Um, the Sam's bit where he goes on later and says, oh, fuck that guy. I was like, cool, great. Good on you, Sam. Didn't feel like we... You didn't earn any points for that, though. I <laughs> feel, feel some people may have been like, yeah, good on you, Sam. You're a good guy. It's like, yeah, that's the bare <laughs> minimum, right? To say, yeah, no. yeah, someone shouldn't, you know, try to force themselves on you. And- yes.
2: Men yeah. men don't get points for having empathy. They should have it.
3: 100%. <laughs> Though it was nice to see Ruth felt a little bit better about herself because someone was backing her up for a change. Yeah. Let's move on from Ruth. Let's talk about Debbie a little bit more. We've talked a little bit about some of this already, but we mm. there's the ongoing divorce that's happening in mm. the background here. Is there anything about that that we want to add? I'm trying to think of other scenes that really played into that. There's I found all her scenes with Mark. Uh, Is it Mark, the husband? Yeah. Really interesting this season in terms of we just see him showing up, sort of playing along, trying to just amicably, you know, divorce in a amicable way and generally being pretty reasonable for a guy who was a fuckhead and slept with her best friend. Um,
2: I like that we still get hints that he's a fucking idiot, though like when he gets his new fucking girlfriend to call his ex-wife about yes. which bed they used to sleep in. Yes. Yeah, yes. it's nice to have those little hints of like, oh, yeah, no, you can most certainly be a cunt and she's right to not like you very much. <laughs> um, yeah. Also to our, I guess, American listeners, we're Australian, we say the word cunt, so <laughs> just deal with that. <laughs> it's not we as... Back, <gasps> we
3: back up Samantha B on this one, it's fine.
2: Yeah, it's it's I mean we call our best friends cunts, so it's and our, our enemies
3: mate. So <laughs> let's right. try and figure that one out Oh really uh, next time mate. In <laughs> yeah. Oi mate. Don't <laughs> what are you doing, mate? That's what you say to people you don't like. Um you go, oi, cunt to the, your friend across the room. Ah,
0: yeah, cunts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, it's
3: the way it works. Yeah. We, I'm glad there's an explicit label now. on this podcast. Sorry, got what you're saying. <laughs>
2: I wish I could remember. <laughs> no. We were
3: just talking about Mark and that ongoing stuff. I don't know. Maybe there isn't a whole lot more we need to talk about with Debbie there. I think we understand that she is just, she is feeling mm. the ongoing effects still of Ruth's. Well, oh, the, the, this the is bit that so is interesting annoying. though about the Ruth thing is that yes, yes, Ruth is an integral part of why that their marriage divorced. But Ruth has a point there that it was like the marriage was going to fall apart one way or the other. Mark was going to do the same thing with somebody else just happened to be Ruth. And so while I do think that Ruth deserves punishment for what she did, this what is happening is not all just Debbie, uh, all just Ruth's fault. Mm-hmm. However, she's still dealing with the fallout of her marriage falling apart, which is horrendous and is obviously driving a lot of her actions and motivations for this season. Sorry, you had something to say.
2: Um well, as I I have two things to say, not very long or in depth, but just little tidbits. The scene after Debbie has cleaned out, the house has been ransacked and she's left with nothing but a couple of bits of baby furniture and she's she's sitting in the middle of her her dining room yeah, and singing. Yes. And I watched this on my giant fucking TV screen in pitch black darkness and I was goddamn captivated. (laughs) I was like, this is the most... Beautiful slash tragic slash empowering thing I have ever seen. Yeah, I, I yeah it it moved me. That shot, I just thought it was beautiful. It really affected me, and I, I I've watched it twice through now, and I think I'm just like from time to time, if I'm having a bad day, I might just go back and rewatch that scene, because that's a woman who's like taking charge. Every like she has nothing. She's fallen apart. But she's having a great time just sitting by herself, no noise around her, just singing a song she wants to sing. It's great. I think I you it. could
3: have finished that sentence with, that's a woman. And that's the beauty of it, right? She mm. is a complex, multifaceted, multidimensional, well-rounded character. She's mm. not a archetype or a stereotype. She plays one <laughs> when <Yeah>. she's wrestling. <laughs> but she... Has <laughs> layers and depth, mm. and yeah. I it's that needs to be like it, it needs to be commended because it doesn't happen enough. I need to commend to the show for that, mm. but more importantly, we should just just be excited and celebrate and happy with it. She's like, This is great, this is great television, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's, she's a great actress with a great character. Go on, was oh, there something so else? Good. The second thing,
2: um, second thing was earlier I said that Debbie doesn't is never vulnerable with anyone. Mm. And I don't think that's entirely true because looking back on her friendship with Tamei through the season, that's someone that she says, you know, some of her darkest stuff to and which she's like, just before they go out, she's like, yeah, I forgot about my son today. Yeah. <laughs> like she's able to kind of bond with her in that way and be like, fuck, I, like, I really fucked up today because she doesn't feel judgment from Tamei Yeah. And she also knows that, you know, when Bash and Sam didn't go to a dinner, Tame was there and she was like, they just had a good time, like a girl's night, which I don't think
3: I've about that she's, scene. That is great, she's that scene, had
2: since, you know, her best friend completely fucked her over. So I think she might be, you know, that, that slow forming friendship with Tame I think, is pretty lovely. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of that.
3: It was a nice little moment at the end on the bus oh, on the way to Vegas, teams. just a little hand touch. Oh, the that mama was touch.
2: Yeah, it was good.
3: Um, so, the other role for Debbie, obviously, in this one is she is trying to assert herself in a professional nature. She has able to get herself a producer role on mm-hmm. um, GLOW. Get it. I love, A, that they just admit that being a producer doesn't necessarily mean a whole fucking lot. <laughs> like, to have the <laughs> yeah. title of producer doesn't really mean a lot necessarily. It can it can mean varying degrees of real involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and At first, she is very much, and for the extent of this, very much frozen out by Sam and Bash for the most part of really having much on there, giving much to do, I should say. She finds ways to involve herself. She comes up with good ideas. She is able to sort of win um, Bash over in particular, um, Mm -hmm. which gives her sort of a chance to win votes against Sam occasionally. Sam just won't, you know, veto everything, which is great, even though they still have meetings without her and stuff like that. I just loved the stuff, though, with... Bash and her when they're trying to sell the show to potential <laughs> networks around the country.
2: The Whisper Campaign. The, the Whisper Muppet Campaign from Muppets Whisper in Manhattan.
3: <laughs> and yeah, Manhattan. And the, the Whisper Campaign and how it works is fantastic. But I was so excited and happy about that sequence where they're at the bar and they're waiting for the phone call. And like, mm. seeing the call come in, seeing their reactions, you know, learning as they go, sort of getting better at it, playing the yeah, game. I love that
2: they fuck up the first time. She's like, what's his name? She's like Joe, Joe jo- Chicago. Joe, Joe Chicago.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, we need to get the names next time.
3: Yeah, exactly. Even the, the next one, when she answers like, hello, this is, you know, well, Debbie. She does
2: a weird like, Katherine Hepburn kind of like that mid-century accent from Hollywood. She's yeah. like, bash Howard Productions. And then she <laughs> decides that's a bad choice.
3: And even the, um, just then when she's like, oh, I'll get you on to um, Mr. Sebastian soon or Mr. Howard soon. He's just on the call to Chicago and it's like yeah. like playing that game, like yeah. learning as you go, <laughs> learning as you go. Love that bit. And I loved yeah. um, uh, when also at the end when the stuff happens with Machu Picchu's um, brother and the they were worried because she'd been stealing some of his moves or whatever and she handles that situation perfectly mm-hmm. you know she does the amicable yes. thing she introduced you know you know whatever you, you want to sort of plays the role of being happy and accommodating <clears> at <throat> first and then like let's move out of here she learns that role as she goes along loved mm-hmm. all of that stuff yeah um no that was really really effective for me the candy stuff was good yeah it was it was a cool role it's good to see her i think that's a good position of her to be in was there anything else about that producer storyline particular that you liked
2: no I, th- I think you hit all the points i was you know going to mention yeah that the bit where she fully puts on her producer hat and is like to the Machu, Carmen's brother and friend when she's just like, yeah, you know what? This is not the time or place, but I'm going to say that in a really friendly manner that you can respond to positively. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, move to a new space. I'm going to make a perfect compromise that will make you guys happy and I have relieved all of the tension. And then she goes up and just like doesn't really tell Sam... Or Ruth, exactly what's going on? She's like, oh, because she knows it's best not to, because then they'll stress out. She's like, oh, you know, just the, there'll be a cameo in the final act or whatever. Um, Bash knows about it. Don't really, what you don't really worry about. It. It'll be fine. And then just goes off because she knows that that's telling Sam at the last minute that there's a change.
3: Not a great idea. It, meanwhile, Sam keeps a secret from Ruth that he's going to fucking hang glide her into the <laughs> fox, fox, whatever. Into the ring. It's like, this. they play this show really fast and loose. <laughs> yeah, I was
2: about to say, like, how could they cover that with their insurance? And then I remembered, they don't have
3: insurance. They don't. So they just don't. He, what did Bash yeah. say? I've got enough money for two more two more people to be injured. <laughs> yeah, two, two more right. specifically. Um, There was another little bit as well that I liked when sort of Debbie was learning her role as well. It's in episode three. It's very subtle. But they're talking about, I think, the Concerned Women of America problem. They're going to do the PSA. Mm-hmm. And Debbie falls into her actor self for a moment. She's selling herself as an actor and then remembers, mm-hmm. no, wait, I'm meant to be the producer and then like takes her hands off her hips and puts her puts in a different position. And like yeah. in one sentence, moves from the position she's so naturally used to playing to wait, that's mm-hmm. not where I'm meant to be and pulls it back. Yep. I was just like, that was just a beautifully acted, fully summated sort of moment of where you are at in your story, in your growth. I thought that was perfect. To be
2: clear... Everything she does is beautifully acted. Yeah,
3: you really, really do love her. Every
2: goddamn millisecond of her performance is perfection. Yeah. I'm obsessed with this actress. She has blown my
3: mind. You mentioned this when you did the the previous season uh, Mm -hmm. podcast with Lauren that, like, we've loved her since that couple of scenes she has in um, American Gods. Yeah,
2: I forgot about that again. Yeah, she's, like, like, the moment in American Gods when you're, like, this chick is hilarious. Who is this person? She's exactly. kicked me out of the park in like one or two scenes and then it turned out to be this amazing chicken glow. It was great. Yeah. Are
3: there other storylines and characters you want to go on specifically? We've actually been talking for about an hour just about the lead three so we shouldn't spend too much longer, I don't think. But are there any other storylines in particular that stood out for you this season?
2: Yeah. Um, the thing that happened with Bash.
3: Yes. The Bash mm-hmm. stuff's really interesting. It's... Even on a level below, like subtlety than what they were doing with Justine and Sam, it's really mm-hmm. just in the background. There are moments here and there. We know Bash is looking for his butler, right? He s- shows Florian, up in the foot, yeah, yeah, and like this is ongoing, trying to figure out where he is. And they go to that gay bar, and I thought that was a really great scene as well. Do you know there are mm. some people who, it's like it's a theory that Bash is gay. Like, come the fuck on. Anyone who thinks that's a theory is not paying attention in the slightest. Well,
2: okay. Well, so I thought he was gay and I think he is gay. He is. Well, no, we don't know that. We
3: the, the scene where he walks into the club and is looking around and the look on his face as he is enjoying himself because this is where he belongs, he is gay. There is no way around this.
2: First of all... <laughs> He was not enjoying himself in that club. No, he, um, he was terrified. Terrified. That's
3: not the first look he gives. That's not
2: terror. The f- he walks in thinking it's a club. As soon as he sees two guys kissing, he becomes terrified.
3: I I disagree. Terrified. I disagree. I, that's not how I read it at all. It was a place that's- where he doesn't necessarily want. He might not have admitted this to himself yet. Where mm. it is scary and not meant to be how he feels. But he he. What he is seeing is where he wants to be. Maybe not in that moment, maybe not, not like this. Yeah,
2: I'm not disagreeing yeah. that Bash is gay. I'm not he, I'm not he, saying that at gay. all. But just on the the second viewing of it, yeah. I was like Is he Is he just like a man coming to terms with the fact that in the eighties, the mid fucking eighties His best friend, the person that he was, like, spending his life with, is gay, which is confronting by itself, in the mid-80s. Yes. And then to find out that he has died from AIDS. Yes. And I was like, even if he's not gay, that's still a really interesting storyline to go down. I, I became... More I, I think more. it's
3: only interesting if he is gay though, because we don't get to know the other character enough. It is it is only no, background to Bash's storyline. Why, a story why
2: does his why does his sexuality somehow affect the gravity of losing a friend from AIDS? Because what is Bash does. what is
3: Bash trying to do when he is er- basically erasing him from his life, when he is marrying Britannica? Like these are all things of him trying to change something about himself because of that fear or because of that part of himself that he's trying to escape from. It's 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 a it's about what Bash is feeling, not just about his butler or his friend or maybe possibly lover, it's about what he feels about himself. Like it ha- it has to come from that. Otherwise, I don't know what the storyline is.
2: I uh, no, I I agree that it does come from that and I agree with that. I'm not but I don't agree that if It doesn't come from that place that it doesn't mean anything. I think simply exploring the huge amount of fear um, and turning away from your loved ones that the straight community did to gay people Mm -hmm. is something really interesting to dive into. So I don't want to put it out there that... Bash has to be gay for yeah. this storyline to mean something. No, no, no.
3: You, what you're saying is right. You could have a storyline that's what you're saying. But I'm. what I mean is that the story that the show is presenting, not all of his actions make sense unless they're in the context that he is also struggling with his sexuality. Like, the, the storyline where he marries Rhonda only makes sense if this is, has to do with his own journey with his sexuality as well. Otherwise, I I'm not sure what it means. <laughs> I don't know what it means to bash for him to marry Rhonda. That has any, that has anything well, to do because with Because he else.
2: doesn't... I mean, he lives in that house by himself. He is completely alone. And just before he does that, he has a conversation with the guy that's going to marry Rhonda, saying mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm just tired of being alone. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's... I mean, so I don't agree that... He needs to be gay for that scene to make sense. I don't agree with that. Do I think that's what's happening? Do I think he's gay and trying to like just move on and like forget about um, any kind of gayness because of what's happened with Florian? Totally.
3: Yeah. But I think- I I also think Carmen's stuff doesn't make sense though. Like Carmen's reaction doesn't make sense unless she's confused about his motivations as well. Like otherwise she just would have hung out with Carmen more. Like- there is—he is running away from something when he marries Rhonda. He's not mm. running to something. He's running yeah. away. Well, she from
2: certainly something. knows that he's not in love with her. Yes, that's absurd. Yes.
3: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> also, Kate Nash has explicitly said in interviews that she's looking forward to that storyline next season. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's obvious. But she's I just like, found it really interesting. Know. I, I, I like. I, I think you've made a good argument here for why this could be a different storyline to the one I think it is. Yeah. But I think it's pretty obvious and I don't I agree think you with you. I try totally
2: try. agree with yeah. you I just wanted to like put out the fair enough alternative viewpoint or why people don't want to commit to that idea yeah also because I think unless someone or a character explicitly shows or says that they're gay um, let's not count our chickens because many of us have lived through it just you know Characters being gay in subtext, and that's not really good enough. So I need to, I need to see it to believe it. If
3: the, if the, if the filmmakers or the TV makers don't understand the, what the symbolism of turning your closet around to see all the pictures <laughs> of these half-naked men around the mirror means, yeah. then and then that's not what you're meaning. Get the and fuck just, off like, television, up his like, arms. What, what are you doing? What yeah. are you and doing? At, at
2: first, I thought like the little box underneath his bed was just a pictures of like. Of memories of him and Florian. And I was like, dude, you're gay. But then yeah. I realised it was actually wrestling memorabilia. But still, I was like, mm, you got a picture of Florian under your bed. That's pretty cute.
3: Yeah. Um, but we like that storyline for what it was. I, I'm, I'm I'm
2: intrigued to see where it goes. Like, yes. I was shocked that it was happening. Yeah. Um, And when he gets them all, the cleaners to just, like, con- completely, like, s- just, you know, scrap every surface Bleach in his it. house... Cause he is terrified and mm. we see him, the cleaning's still going on, he's sitting by his pool smoking a cigarette, and he just kind of like breaks down for a moment. Yeah. I was like, oh geez, this is going to be heavy stuff. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting stuff. And I also think if you are going to make a show in the 80s in America, um <clears throat> and have queer characters around. It's probably really important to discuss the AIDS epidemic. 100% agree. So I'm, I'm really I, intrigued to see where they take it.
3: I'm glad they're approaching that. I thought it was really interesting the line from the cleaner guys, like, don't worry, I understand. We've done this before sort You've of thing. Done this this was not an isolated insul- incident. This is something that a lot of people were feeling and were doing as well. Yeah. Um, isn't it I just ugh, the awful irony of television shows? It's the innocent ones who always have to have the most heart wrenching and like awful yeah. storylines happen to them. I was just like, yeah, of course. why are you always the innocent ones? Um, are other characters that had storylines that we enjoyed, there was new... Well, there was... Um,
2: lesbians! We had lesbians!
3: <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that, Damask.
2: They were like two girls and they liked each other and they kissed <laughs> and I liked it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the extent of it?
2: Um, it's fun it there were two was really sweet.
3: minority women as yeah, well. Yeah, like.
2: two women of colour, just... Having a cute little romance. I thought it was it was sweet because I actually assumed this was going to be a, a case of being uh, just, you know, a bit of subtext. Like we see them always sitting next to each other and stuff yeah. and I saw those signs. I was like, I know what you're doing with those characters. I know where this is going. I'm excited but I know I'm going to ultimately be disappointed because um, it's just going to be like hand-holding and shit. Um, but then... They actually have a cute little... I mean, it's very brief. It's just tiny tidbits. But still, it's really sweet what they share together. And they kiss and they end up just driving off into the sunset, gazing into each other's eyes. It's fucking beautiful.
3: It was nice to have that and just have it grow and watch it grow rather than have to have it be traumatic or, like, full of turmoil either. Like, it's not like, oh, I can't, like... Well, my parents... are i
0: gay. Yeah, mm. stuff
3: like that might come up still, especially worried about parent situation with Beirut. I don't know that the character's name in the show... Arthi. Was it, sorry? Arthi. Okay, cool.
2: It's like Arty, but with a f f
3: Okay. Um Okay. I believe. Not paying attention enough, apparently. That's bad me, Brod. Bad you. The... Um, but, I, yeah, I'm worried that might happen still. She's talking about, like, she only went to medical school because of her parents and stuff like that. It could very easily be a parental problem there in the future. But that's not what this mm-hmm. story was about. It was just mate watching this blue blossom and it be quite sweet. That was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we have this season happening? Melrose doesn't get a whole lot to do except not get laid. Um, mm-hmm. The She sings
2: that great song.
3: That was great. We're going to get to that episode in a second, that entire mm. episode. I'm so excited. In its own way. The, 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 uh, do you think the, the ensemble cast gets enough to do this season? Maybe it's a better question.
2: No. I mean, I always want to see more from them. I assumed we'd have some more <clears throat> single character-focused episodes with a few of the different girls, which we didn't get this season.
3: We got a couple. We got I mean we did get mother of all matches. Um
2: Yeah. with Tame. Yeah. Also with um Debbie as well. Um That's but yeah, true. I, I I did um I did th- oh, we also had uh, I guess Cherry um being a terrible actress. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed. That was
3: interesting. That was I
2: liked that. Did you not like
3: that? No, no, I no, I liked it. I thought it was fine. I just thought it was interesting that later on when she's gonna be black magic, I know she's very comfortable, she's sort of being mm. playing that character in her personal life for a long time. thought yeah. so it was interesting that she was suddenly on camera doing that with zero um, problems I think, at all. I think
2: it's the fact that she can't deal with lines. Yeah. Like she can't she's not able to memorize lines and then spout them out and, and add feeling. Whereas yeah. I feel like wrestling's a bit more improv.
3: Yeah, and also um, I think Sam is just a better director for her, who seems who understands him and is not going to try and put her in a box or make her something yeah. that doesn't make sense to her, as well. Yeah, totally. I really like her relationship with her husband as well. Um,
2: it's fucking beautiful. Oh, there's one line that he says when they're it, like about to have sex and she's not really in the mood, and he's like, "If I was turned
3: oh on, my woman's not um, interested. What sort of husband would I be? What,
2: what kind of no? What kind of man would I be?" Would I and I be? was like, "Fucking oath." That it is was I've for never everyone men or a, women, if your partner is not you know obviously aroused by the situation, you shouldn't be aroused either. It should be a team effort thing, both people working in sync and together.
3: I think I wrote the note. I've never seen a moment with a woman touching a flaccid penis that was sweet. like it was <laughs> like that's what was happening in the scene. He's yeah. like, you don't she's like, you don't seem very into it. He's like, what sort of man would I be if I was, you know, excited when my woman wasn't? And I was like, Yeah, that's beautiful. But it just involved yeah, like I just thought the the absurd, <laughs> that moment was so amazing. Anyway. I it like was. that stuff. I like mm-hmm. I like generally the relationships between the girls. Um, the little stuff between the 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 toxic twins, they're changing. Their, I'm glad they changed the characters, by the way. I fucking hated the old ladies. Like, <laughs> glad that changed. Yeah. The ongoing problems with stereotypes with um, mm. Beirut in particular, obviously, and Fortune Cookie. Fortune Cookie, she doesn't get a whole lot to do this season either. No, she doesn't. She just, just
2: steals Melrose's <laughs> jacket. Well, she didn't steal it. She wins it.
3: I did love the scene when they're all outside like having a smoke break or something like that, and Justine's there. And she's talking about how she has sex regularly with her boyfriend as a teenager, and they're all just like... annoyed at this teenager having regular sex. I just love that moment.
2: Yeah, Melrose is just like, there's no way that I am like the star of a TV show and the teenager is fucking more than the rest of
3: us. Like that's just not
2: happening, which I really liked.
3: Yeah, I would would like to see. I like any, like the way they, when they are used, they are all used great. Like I think Mm -hmm. Carmen is fucking the best. Like she is my Patronus. I love her to bits. They use her really well when she's in the show. I could do with way more. I could do with way more mm-hmm. of all of them, though. And that's not a bad problem to have, where you've got a cast that are all winners and you could, you know you could happily spend more time with and be more fleshed out. Yeah. I hope I hope this show goes on for another four seasons so we can do that and just it'll happen gradually. Or we might have seasons where maybe next season, Ruth and Debbie do sort of what's happened Orange is the New Black. Now, I don't mm. think these... Because I think you mentioned Orange is the New Black a lot in the season one review because Genji Cohen is obviously involved with this yeah. as well, and we t- and we've talked about this when we've reviewed Orange is the New Black. How um, Alex and what's the Piper sort of step into the background a little bit? They become the B or C plots for a few seasons, and that's helpful in that show because they're fucking assholes, and I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I, and
2: everyone hates them, yeah.
3: I don't feel that way about Debbie and Ruth, at least not yet. I'm happy to see their storylines continue because I invested in both of them more than I am with Piper and Alex. Mm-hmm. But I would not mind at all if they step back a little bit in Season 3, maybe were more background stuff and let some of the other characters mm-hmm. come to the forefront. In fact, I can very easily see that happening and would be yeah, great. Yeah,
2: no, I I kind of hope that's, that's what... Starts happening in season three, and I just to kind of have an a little bit bit more even across the board with like I'm still very much invested, like you said, in Ruth and Debbie separately and together. Like I really want to see where that relationship goes, but I think now it's it really is time for us to get to know the other girls much more than we already do.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, just one more thing as well. I know this seems obvious. Um, but I feel like more and more shows try to take shortcuts when it comes to character work, especially trying to make me believe that the people like each other. There's a scene Mm -hmm. that I mentioned earlier that I just want to bring up particularly the montage of the girls keeping Ruth distracted while she's in hospital fucking works on me so well. It's dorky as fuck, but I just love seeing these girls look after each other, enjoy spending time with each other. And I want to spend more time with them because of it. It's super undervalued in TV these days. So, when a show does it and does it well, like Glow does, I'm just like, big thumbs up. And I want to, I always want to celebrate that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'll admit the first time I watched that montage, it made me so
3: uncomfortable. Really? (laughs) I love that.
2: Yeah. I was just like, because I have that like cynical way to view it that. You know, people like you and I, I think just like a modern viewer has come to look at something like that and be like, oh, it's so cheesy. Oh, God, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. I like cheese. And then I rewatched the season a second time and that scene started and I was like, oh, God, I can't sit through this again. But I gritted my teeth and I did it and I was like. Oh, actually, that was fine. Yeah, I don't exactly. know why I had such an adverse reaction to it. But I think I've just been kind of like taught that that is bad cheese and that it makes me uncomfortable. But on the rewatch, it didn't. So, that was a
3: nice surprise. Another episode I wanted to talk about in particular, we've already sort of um, singled out the mother of all matches. I want to also just talk a little bit about episode eight, The Good Twin, which is an episode that basically just is an episode of Glow. And I think is so inspired. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so great. I wish it was just a show on its own. But also yeah. is really well placed because this show, like, it's, gr- we, it's great that this show is about how they make this show, right? But it's also really good to completely understand what this show is that they're making. So, you, like, mm-hmm. to see that product delivered in its... Com- entirety is really helpful and was placed perfectly at episode eight, I think. Um uh, there was just so many great moments in it. Um seeing yeah. the 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 bit where um Olga, the sister of St- Stroya Stoya reaches Royer. out thank you, reaches out to open um the shower when Liberty Bell's in the shower and it's a man's mm. hairy arm. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love the laugh track. I yeah. love the like the line from Justine: "It's me, Lisa, the teenager that lives next door." <laughs> I need to see more of Quilting Be Easy. Like I just, oh, want, yeah, that's great. I need that like on the DVD or something. I need like an episode mm-hmm. of Quilting Be Easy. The kidnapping awareness song is excellent. Oh my
2: god, kidnapping is bad or whatever it <laughs> yeah. is. Or don't kidnap. Don't kidnap. <laughs> so good.
3: <laughs> I, but I think the best single part of that show, of that episode, is Sheila's review of cats and then the date she goes on with the goat. <laughs> Fuck me dead. That was so funny. <laughs> Everything about that was perfect. It was just... Yeah, it was very good. It was exactly my style of thing. I don't know. Did you like that episode as well?
2: <clears throat> oh, I don't know. It might be my favourite episode. <laughs> it was your favourite episode? Um, Yeah. Look, being able to see what those women that i have come to really love to see what they can do was actually really beautiful and i like later on in the season i th- i think it's later on yeah when bash and debbie are doing their little whisper campaign mm-hmm. and debbie compares it to a whole bunch of shows but i remember hearing like charlie's angels and monty python and yep. i was like yeah that's what it is and it was really great to be able to see it and it was nice to get to see why these women would be so proud of what they do every yep. week, and it's funny, and they're all great in it. Ruth is amazing as both twins. Yes. Um. Yeah, just such a great performance. I love the whole black magic and Britannica thing and turning, fuck, what's t- turning Thomas into a man?
3: Yep.
2: Is that his name, Thomas? Yep.
3: I think it was Thomas or Tim or something like that. I think it was Tom. Yeah. Yeah, I think.
2: And then, um. She goes out on all those dates with him. And then when Black Magic comes back and he's turned into, like this misogynist, it's yes. just like sitting there, like, oh, I didn't realize we were having company. Like,
0: <laughs>
2: it was just so good. And I loved Grief yes, in which they're all crying and exercising. And just amazing performance from Debbie when she's like, Savannah Rose, my poor missing baby. And then she's crying hysterically while exercising. And someone, I think it's is just like, are you okay? And she's like, (laughs) no! And just keeps exercising. It's so good. Um, And then like when we actually get to a wrestling scene and we have Bash talking over it, commentating it, and he's like, Britannica is fighting for the man she loves. Black magic is fighting because... She's horrible and mean. Like <laughs> I love just that little critique of like that's what so many villains are, you know, like in superhero films or whatever. It's just like they don't really have a motivation. It's just because they're bad, they're mean people, which I love, love, loved. I also loved um when Liberty Bell goes to the castle on the top of the high hill. Yes, and, and we have the
3: observatory, which I loved as yes. well. Yes,
0: yeah, I love it.
2: And we have uh, Beirut. <laughs> And fuck, I've forgot her name.
3: And uh, Fortune Cookie.
2: Fortune Cookie, um, guarding. And for some reason, Beirut has made the choice to speak like Catherine Hepburn <laughs> when she's like, I didn't always want to be a terrorist. I used to want to dance, <laughs> which I just <laughs> thought was so perfect. Um, and I just, yeah, mostly I just loved watching Liberty Belle because she's so camp and you just know that Debbie. Must be having so much fun because yeah. she's so extra in the role. Just seeing them enjoy it was really lovely. Yeah.
3: I, I also, I really appreciate the way it was made. A, that we saw those like extended, complete like wrestling matches. Mm-hmm. Like, just mm-hmm. as they were shot and would have been shown. Like, I love yeah. the establishing shot that every that both those had, this sort of wide angle shows them in each corner. Like, there was a formula and a format to it that you know just watching the two that they show in that episode would have been a similar format each time. Being able to see the cameramen when they're going around the ring, being able to it, – it felt like it was made like the show would have been made. There was no point of yes. it that I went – Oh, that doesn't make sense. That that couldn't have been done with how we understand the show to be made. It was made like they would have made the show, one hundred percent. Every element of it. The only one I could think of, there was only one element. I was like that. I don't understand where they got that from. Was the the psych that they used when they were doing the dance sequence, like the sort of the the room they were in. Because everywhere else was somewhere we understood. Like we could see the space. It was either the locker room, like where they right. had the safe with the combination one 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 two, or it was the it was Debbie's house where they were doing the griefer size. Like every location, it was a, it was the glowtel whatever. We knew mm. where those places were. It's that's me being really picky. Wait, I, when the, they're
2: doing the kidnapping song,
3: kidnapping song could have been anywhere. Like it didn't really. Yeah, gotcha. It it it, <laughs> it didn't have an element of they couldn't have done that. Does that make sense? The only yeah. one being the dance part, but the like I'm not that doesn't it's no criticism. Oh, that was like just the me.
2: makeover song.
3: The no the dance between Beirut and um, Jung Chang. Oh sorry, I was trying to figure
2: out what dance you were talking about. Right, right. Oh yeah, the
3: dream sequence. It's like on a like Mm -hmm. a psych that's got like a a clouds and a sky and stuff like that. Yeah,
2: it's a cheap set with like a park bench and a with one park bench.
3: (laughs) But I couldn't place that in the world Mm -hmm. that we know them to be in, where every other element of the of that was like I can place that in space, in that, in Mm. or around the gym, basically. Right. Um, but I don't mean it as a criticism. I actually mean that as a, like a, I love that I was able to look at it and go, oh yeah, that's how they would have done it. Oh yeah, that makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. Oh, this mm-hmm. is, this is gr- so grounded, and uh, I I loved it. I loved I loved yeah, loved that I episode.
2: I loved um in Melrose's makeover song, um just when they're dancing in that empty club, <laughs> and um Sam's just in the background doing just like the daggiest little like two step and click it was i really enjoyed that quite a lot
3: just the bit where she opens the door and they're all there just sort of bopping their head <laughs> side to side i've seen that as a gift uh, since so i'm just like that's an amazing so gift good. that's awesome um this season was generally very very well received by most people seem to love it mm-hmm. but not by all
2: which surprised me
3: <laughs> and i've since really? spent-
2: how how long have you been on the internet don't be surprised by that bro
3: true but i'm surprised by who it is yeah so sure. i've um i follow a few different people who review television stuff like that on twitter in particular and i've often talked about in this show joanna robinson for instance being someone that i love i've talked about her being my true north and normally find her to be really a great person at handling sort of controversy or especially like social justice stuff and those sorts of things. And she seems to have a real big problem with GLOW. She's outright said Mm. she thinks she hates it. Like, she wants to support it, but she seems to hate it. And and I've really struggled to understand this. And I've sent you an article that sort of exemplifies some of this. It's called Mark Maron is great in GLOW and maybe that's a problem. And this is by Mm. Sonia Saria. S-A-R-A-I-Y-A. This is from Vanity Fair. Um, And... I One of the things they sort of, I don't want to read the whole article, they're sort of summarising that they feel like there is more attention paid to Mark Maron's character, i.e. Sam, than is paid to women character characters on this show. Or that he is the, really the protagonist of this show, or has sort of stealthily become the protagonist of this show, and that Ruth and Debbie and the other characters aren't getting enough time. We've talked about we would love to see more from the general mm-hmm. ensemble. Mm-hmm. But it's reading articles like this, I feel like I watch a different show. I felt like Debbie and Ruth's, like, I think one of the things she says, she didn't feel like there was, it was a season without much in the way of a plot, which I thought was odd. I thought, yeah, it doesn't have the complete structure that season one has. But the ongoing storylines with Ruth and Debbie and Debbie and Sam and Ruth and Sam were all pretty straightforward to me and didn't feel like they were missing anything. The, no. They'd struggled for them to keep the TV show running as well, even though they've got the season now to actually stay on air. Seemed pretty straightforward to me. I really don't know where that's coming from. Um, how, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Oh, yeah. So, you and I were texting back and forth about this. Yeah. Um, so, I'm just going to quickly read like my first response after you like sure. sent me that thing because it was just that like I just finished watching it for the second time and you sent that to me and I was like and I was like finishing up my notes for the for the show and I was feeling really happy and positive about what I just seen. And then I read that article and I had some feelings about it. (laughs) So I wrote, "'At no point did I think Sam was taking over the show. "'I agree that Ruth was on the sideline this season, "'but I think that is purposeful. "'She's made herself smaller, "'and I think in Vegas we'll see her rise into something amazing. "'Why are people freaking out?' And then I go on to say, as we grow to empathize with these women, so does Sam. The audience and Sam see stereotypes because we've been brainwashed brainwashed by the fucking patriarchy and we're watching Sam break out of that. But he's also still a shithead and that's why he doesn't get the girl. It's a great show with amazing performances by a lot of women. And then you go and focus your article on your, or your whole review on the betrayal of the man in the show. Yeah. I, d- I don't like it. I, I think... Like oh, I mean, and you said this when we were having a conversation off the air that you don't want to be dismissive of people's viewpoints, and I, we me don't in particular,
3: want to- especially when it comes to a show about women. Like this is similar to when I reviewed *Picnic at Hanging Rock* mm. with Kyron. I'm the last, like my opinion on this man is the least, right? Like <laughs> I am a white male who has had his 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 perspective. He, I have seen myself in media my entire life without issue whatsoever, right? I'm (laughs) surrounded by that. So, take that, anything I say, with a grain of salt. But uh, this is, I just felt like I must have been missing something. Like, because I love this show so much.
2: Yeah, if people wanted to perhaps skew this article in the way that we're like, why are we giving so much time to this straight white man when there are so many, like, women of colour on the set that need time as well? That I don't necessarily disagree with. I think the women of colour need more time on screen. I want to get to know their characters way more. Totally agree with that. But in regards to the character of Sam and the criticisms brought against that character and for simply just kind of having him take up any space, I just wrote, you know, the women are disgusted and horrified by the way he acts. No one thinks he is a top-notch guy Ruth, I think, flirts with the idea, but her growth is moving away from toxic people this season. Yeah, Fictional male characters written by women is a great way to show men what this equality conversation looks like. And I think, like, if you're going to have a group of women approach a character like this, I think that could create something really cool and interesting and show a new side of things, a new dynamic... I I just I we don't need to be sending hate out to this show for the character of Sam it just seems so strange to me it's it seems counterproductive to me to do that
3: it just seemed, it seems it wrong-headed of me one of the one of the lines is that because Glow created by two female um and ex- two female writers and executive produced by Ginger Cohen is supposed to be an ensemble comedy about a diverse group of women right mm-hmm. my problem with that is that it is a, a diverse uh, ensemble comedy about a diverse group of women. It just also happens to have a, some male characters in it and I don't think that's wrong. I think the show should have male characters in it because mm-hmm. if it didn't it wouldn't like we complain there aren't enough female uh, female like well-rounded real characters on TV and that's true and I'm glad that glow is here to rectify that but that doesn't mean it should we should have not we shouldn't have male complex rounded characters in that show too they should be there too because if we don't then i'm not sure this show this needs we need characters like sam in this show like we need to have that male presence as well otherwise i'm just not sure what the show's about as much i just think it's wrong-headed to say that mark maron being great in this is worse for the show (laughs) about women i just i think if
1: you'll make i mean this show is about women coming together trying to make this show, in the fucking 80s, yes. their bosses are going to be men. Yes. And sure, you can have a show like, I guess, Orange is the New Black in which you make pretty much across the board all the men fucking terrible, like the worst type of human you could possibly possibly be. If you have a penis in that show, you know, your character's not going to be particularly complex or interesting. You're going to be a bad thing. guy. Yeah. You're going to be a plot device. That's it. That make for a good show. That doesn't make for a good story. These are stories that we're telling. And, yes, they don't exist in a vacuum and representation is very important. And I think showing this man to have or develop empathy or friendships with these women or just kind of grow in any kind of way, I don't see the negative of that if it's written by a group of really smart women who are obviously – very aware of what men like that can do in the world.
3: There's another article co- from uh, on Bustle from Candice Frederick called Glow's Season 2's Best Episode Highlights May, but also the show's Biggest Flaw. And sort of the sentence that sort of highlights my problem with this entire concept is it says, even an episode that's primarily about May, episode four merely represents what she is going through rather than allowing her to be the hero she deserves to be in her own story. Which to me was feels like them saying, I wish that she came out of this better, right? That the character won more in this episode, or, you know, was stronger or whatever. Which I understand the reaction to want that, to want this show to be like a a wish fulfilment sort of thing, but that's that's criticizing the show for what you would what show you want to be watching rather than what the show actually is and this this story is really complex i think this this the situation that she is in where she is able to do a empowering thing by being a woman wrestler but to do so comes at the cost of her race in some degree because she is and her relationship with her son potentially <laughs> because she has to play an awful stereotype at the same time is not is a really complex thing And to just say that she needs to be a bigger hero in her story is to try and simplify a complex one. And I really think that's just wrong-headed. I I don't know. What do you feel about that?
1: I understand it from the viewpoint of seeing characters that remind you of yourself, to see them continually downtrodden Mm -hmm. can, can be exhausting. Totally. I... So I don't want to dismiss that point of view from people. I think, you know, that's fair. You want some fucking positivity in your your life? Absolutely. I I don't want to discourage anyone from wanting that, from wanting really positive representation because I think that's really important and powerful stuff. However, I also think this storyline is really powerful. Mm -hmm. I think too much this woman be degraded in front of her son and to see that hurt shared between them mm-hmm. says so much about what this woman and her son have gone through throughout their entire life mm-hmm. just to get to a point where they get a semblance of respect Yeah, is like it's, it's so heavy and so layered and they show it in beautiful oftentimes silent moments. Mm-hmm. Just exchanges between characters and it's all there and I trust this show to continue to explore those things. It may not be the big triumphant triumphant moment that you want right now and I understand the frustration with that but I think this season has shown to me, to be an incredibly strong character, to be someone with a huge amount of drive, with compassion, and she is respected by all those around her professionally. Like I, I see her as a triumphant character, you know, fair enough if others don't, but that's how I view her. I view her as a character to, like, look up to, to respect, but also to understand her humanity and the cost that she has had to pay as a black woman in America working five fucking jobs. You know what I mean? Like just to recognize that. But I don't think that diminishes her strength or the triumph of being successful.
3: hundred um, percent. Yeah, there's this, a couple of people have been saying things like, why does this show hate women? You know, and I just think that is so hyperbolic and ridiculous thing to say. And, and I think it comes from the expression of, this show keeps showing men being shitty and I already know that because I understand that from my life. That's probably true. (laughs) I'm sure that is, but that maybe maybe, maybe this show's more for me in some ways, more than it is for women. And maybe, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing necessarily, but I certainly appreciate having a better understanding of a woman's perspective. Like, this is what art does for me as a man. I'm able to have empathy for other people that aren't um, myself. like, is okay, that the point? So
1: the show is not made more for you, but we are having different reactions
3: yeah. to it,
1: in which you are, and this should not be the purpose of the show, and I don't think it is the purpose of the show, mm. but it is educating you about a perspective that you may not have had access to previously, mm-hmm. whereas for me and for people like me, we are seeing... A representation that we have been deprived for so long. Well, that's
3: what I would have re- thought, right? Like, aren't you it being seen?
1: It it is exciting to watch
3: yeah. this
1: family of women just be together, be in the same space together, use their bodies in a non-sexual way to play with one another. It's fucking amazing. And to say that this show hates women, I couldn't disagree more mm. with that. I think that is such an absurd and inflammatory thing to say Mm. just so you can be like, this is my strong stance against glow. Glow is not your enemy. Glow is not something that is so toxic that you need to rip it apart without seeing any value in it. I don't like – and maybe someone like in the next couple of weeks, someone will write an amazing essay about the perspective that glow hates women and they will prove me wrong and I will read it and I'll be like, you made some really good points, fair points. And I will say that on the podcast. But as for me as a woman watching Glow, just by myself, just absorbing it, it was amazing. It filled me with a huge sense of pride. It made me go, fuck, yeah, like we are amazing. Fuck, yes, we can do anything. And we are complicated and we are confused. But that doesn't mean that we (coughs) – sorry, that we – can't achieve absolutely anything that we want to. And it's going to be so hard, but we have each other and that's fucking important. So just like to, yeah, just throw this show aside because Mark Maron takes up too much space or for some reason, somehow you've come to the cl- conclusion that this show hates women. I just I just think it's, yeah, hyperbolic and inflammatory. And just like, you know, you want a couple of likes on your tweet. It, I really see very little substance to
3: it. That's the bit that worries me is that it's um it's uh, it's a hot take, but the bit that made the the reason I got confused because it's one thing to see a hot take and a you know uh, uh, a different opinion or um, yeah, contradictory sort of perspective there it it when I saw Joanna Robinson in particular express the same thing, I'm like, I, okay, what am I missing? <laughs> it's someone I generally trust to mm. be pretty on point with those things and not be after a quick click, if you know what I mean. Um, me too.
1: That's why I'm happy. Like I am open to being educated about that. And like I said, if someone writes an amazing article or essay telling me exactly why they believe that and they really convince me, then of course I'm on board. I'm happy to discuss that. Yeah. But as of right now, just me as a, for me, myself, just me as a viewer, I thought it was great, and I thought it was a fantastic example for women.
3: This has been a fantastic discussion. We've been going for nearly an hour and 40 minutes on this, so let's move on to final thoughts. (laughs) Any
4: last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note.
3: Do you have any side notes to discuss, Damask?
2: No, I think I've somehow managed to incorporate them into our general conversation. Yeah, me
3: too. Generally, i got to quote a million different lines and things like that, but the only last thing I really want to talk about quickly is what do we think about the ending of this season in the sense of, like, do we like the wedding, for instance, as sort of like a climax to this season? I certainly liked the battle royale that was happening in the ring, mm-hmm. um, even if the Britannica stuff or the Ronda stuff didn't exhilarate me. The whole, like, oh, I'm going to have to leave the country now because I wanted to get a, you know, social security number is sort of pretty... Forced sort of ending to yeah, it, I think
2: it did, Yeah, And I just kept um, thinking, I'm like, is like the immigration department like gonna be cool with like this clearly just kind of like put together <laughs> relationship, or like was it more lax in the 80s? I don't know, but there you
3: go. At least they work together so they can sort of like, oh yeah, you know, we've met each other and we've fallen in love and we really want to spend the rest of our lives together. They could do it. Yeah. The priest didn't mm-hmm. seem convinced, it's unsurprisingly. <laughs> Um, the ending, they didn't get picked up by Network and going to Vegas. How do we feel about that twist? I really was expecting them to get picked up.
2: Yeah, I was expecting them to be picked up. I like it. I mean, it's certainly convenient to meet this strip club owner who's very enthusiastic about their work, who has kind of this lineup for them. But I don't care because I am excited for season three. I think it's... Um, just like season one made me go, fuck yeah, can't wait for more. That's exactly what happened at the end of this season when they're, you know, on the bus to Vegas. I was like, fuck yeah, can't wait for more. Like what is going to happen during those live shows? Love it.
3: Did you you have any particular thoughts about Ruth's look at the very end? Like her... Her trepidation? (laughs) Yeah. It's really like, oh no, sort of look that... She's scared.
2: She is scared. I mean, change is scary. And I think to finally be happy for her, I think, is a strange place to be in and the possibility of it all falling apart, of that new relationship falling apart, of that family that she has built. Things are changing, so that might fall apart. I think she's scared about that.
3: Um, yeah. No, I, I thought that was a really interesting place to end. Vegas opens up some interesting possibilities. We will talk about that when we get to predictions. Just a little other thought I had. I'm. I can't figure out why KDTV even they own the rights to the characters, right? But this is a show they put on at 2 a.m. and are planning to cancel. Why would they not want to sell that to other distributors? Like you can make money from selling this IP to somebody. You are not planning to use it, so what? Do you, why would you hold on to that? I found that a little odd.
2: Um, because that sexual predator is probably a spiteful dickhead.
3: Uh yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. <laughs> That well summarized. I love. <laughs> I just just thought about that bit actually, where um Sam um breaks the guy's car window and Glenn mm. just comes out and he goes. He pisses off a lot of people. That could have been anybody. Yeah. It just um,
2: annoyed me because I was like, "No, Sam, go for the panels.
3: Yeah, you yeah, can easily
2: really. replace the glass. Come on, exactly. rookie mistake." Um,
3: Least favourite and favourite episodes. What was your least favourite episode of the season, Damask?
2: My least favourite... Just give me a second while I casually scroll up. Oh, there it is. (laughs) Um, I thought it was going to be episode nine, Rosalie. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
2: But then I went back and actually read over the episode summaries. And I think I'm going to have to give it to episode two, (laughs) Candy of the Year.
0: Yeah.
2: It was... A good intro to Yolanda, which I liked. I liked her energy, but I was worried at that stage that the show would become too cheesy. And I was yep. like, oh, no, oh, no, a bit worried about that. Um, you know, yeah, Debbie struggles to get respect from Bash and Sam, and she does have a little bonding time with Tame, which I really enjoy. But nothing in that episode really blew me away. Nothing, like, really spoke to me on a level that, you know, other episodes certainly did. So I think, it, yeah, it's going to have to be that one, episode two.
3: My least favorite episode is episode two as well. uh, Candy of the year. It just, um, I think it's definitely got good ideas, themes, topics in the episode. It just didn't have the emotional punch of the best episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, It, it, I just, I made the fewest notes about it. It was the most sort of paint by numbers episode of Glow that I can think Mm -hmm. of. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, totally. So for that, it wasn't a bad episode. It just wasn't an exceptional or great episode. Uh, your favourite episode of the year, Damask?
2: Well, I've already spoke at length about this one. So, I'll just say it's Episode 8, The Good Twin, for all of the reasons I listed earlier when we were talking about it.
3: Yeah. Um, mine is... It could have been Episode 8. It wasn't, but it very well could have been. It was up there. Mine, personally, was Episode 4, The Mother of All Matches. Yeah. We've that was my
2: runner-up, Episode yeah, 4.
3: Right. So, these are the, the two, obviously, top episodes of the season. I... um. I've mentioned, I've gone into detail already about it, so I won't go through it again, but I legitimately think it was a five-star episode of television, like mm. one of the best episodes I've seen all year. It was so good. And just that moment during the wrestling match, like I said, to, to give that stupid, totally predetermined performance stakes like it does mm-hmm. is masterful and I felt all of it. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Do we have any predictions, hopes, concerns for the show going forward?
2: Um, I hope we get more of the other girls. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, I think now now is the time. I mean, it could have ha- I would have been happy if it happened in season two, but I don't think you can have a full season three without doing that and people not be going, When when is that going to happen? What is the purpose of those people being around? Yeah. So, I think it's really important that they do that next season. I have concerns that in the next couple of days, there's going to be some weird backlash against this show and it's going to infuriate me. <laughs> I'm concerned oh, sure. about that. Um, no, I'm just looking forward to next season and I'll probably re-watch season two for a third time.
3: You just need to do be the counter-take to the counter-takes. You need to yes, counter the exactly. counters. Be on, be yeah. on the take forefront. Take this
2: cold take. Yeah. I really <laughs> liked it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Seriously do that. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's obvi- a- often the instant response. Then you hear the negative responses and then it goes cold. It's yeah. like, stick with it. Go, no. This is great. I love Every it. Every
2: week, I'm just going to tweet, I really liked Glow.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just um, keep the conversation going. I'm very interested to see where Vegas, what Vegas throws at us. I. Don't see off the top what's obviously going to happen there, but certainly that different environment to LA, Vegas is a very odd, interesting place, at least the time I've spent yeah. there personally. They'll um, be I'm, dealing
2: with huge crowds, more fans having access to them could be very interesting.
3: Yeah, it could be really, really interesting and fascinating. And just the environment of Vegas where it throws at you as well. That's just such a mm. crazy, unique place. Um And like, same as you, I hope we just see more of the characters who haven't had a heap of the time in the spotlight yet. It gets to a point where you've got so much potential in those characters. If you're not utilizing them, it's like, why is this going to waste, you know? And there is a point of no return with Reggie, not with Reggie, with Debbie and Ruth as well, where it's like, if we just keep doing the same storyline with them, I mean, if they come up with fresh stuff, great. But you've got so much raw material there, we may as well dive into it with the others. Particularly Reggie. We didn't talk about this. She gets pushed out, like, in episode one, doesn't come back till episode seven. It's just, like, that was so weird. I was trying to figure out, like, did the actress, was she pregnant or something? Like, what happened that she was, like, pushed out of the show so much? It was odd.
2: Yeah. I I think it was just a catalyst for us and the girls to remember who Sam was. And then, obviously, when Sam has improved himself a little bit, Reggie comes back. I I think that's... The narrative purpose.
3: It just we didn't get much, even time to, like, digest it. She was just gone. She just wasn't there the next time, basically. Mm. Anyway, I think that's it. I think that's the end of our glow discussion. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. Tweet us at cunti- <laughs>
2: <laughs> cunting... Season. Don't you edit that out. Don't you edit it out.
3: I might add I'm that gonna to the I'm going to create end. a parody
2: account <laughs> Cunting Seasons
3: um, Tweet us At Hunting S Cast You can find myself Broderick Gordis On Twitter At BGordis B G-O-R-D-E-S Damask Where can people find you on Twitter?
2: People can find me At Maskymo M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Uh
3: Thank you very much Sean Kirkpatrick Or at Cunting Seasons <laughs> <laughs>
2: Coming soon <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love the <laughs> idea that we somehow have a parody account. That's really funny to me. <laughs> Thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws for his logo and design work. Thank you, Jordan Calibus for our theme song and Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. Find links to their work in the show notes. If you enjoy it, we do here, we'd really, really appreciate you sharing this podcast with others who you think might enjoy listening. Please review us on you know, iTunes, Google podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, but we'd really love you, really, really love you to uh, share this with friends iMessage, you know, WhatsApp, Viber, in person. Oh my God. Take their phone and download this podcast into their podcast app of choice so they just yeah. don't have a choice. Do that. That's a great idea. Um, or just that's...
2: upload it to Pornhub and just share it that way.
3: That, that'll that get us views for sure. Yeah. Oh wait, we won't get, get those
2: views though, will we? God if we damn it. it if,
3: we call, if we call it Cunting Seasons, maybe <laughs> it will. Cunting Seasons. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
2: Full circle. It came around.
3: <laughs> Next week, we'll be back to discuss Hun- uh, Handmaid's Tale Season 2 um, which I'm looking forward to Like, Yeah, that's a- going
2: to be just as much fun as Glow.
3: Oh yeah, mm. yeah I mean, it's the same show really it's, uh <laughs> my goodness This is falling apart at the end. Anyway, we'll see you next week for Handmaid's Tale Season 2. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.
0: Bye
4: Earbuds Melbourne's Podcast Network, earbudsnetwork.com.